Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 985, with Keith Benjamin. That's that external competition. The internal competition is just, listen, each and every person in my organization wants to get better and they want to grow, right? And so sometimes, and it's only the nature of the beast, there's going to be folks within the organization that are competing with one another, right? And so I say, listen, guys, push each other, but also inspire each other and pull something that somebody else does really well and make that something that you also want to do really well. So look at that friendly competition and capitalize on that competition and make yourself better. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. Founded by Josh Sharkey, a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 years, Mies organizes, shares, preps, and scales your recipes like never before. Plus, you can get laser accurate food cost and nutrition analysis faster than you could even imagine. If you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies is built for you. Get started by visiting getmees.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable and as a listener of restaurant unstoppable podcast you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today with invoice processing you can link all of your purchases to ingredients in your recipes and the most current cost will be automatically reflected in every recipe revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with me's This episode is brought to you by OneHuddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With OneHuddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. OneHuddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will try translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit. Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. 
RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founding partner and director of operations of Uptown Hospitality Group, which consists of Uptown Social, Bodega, and Sharehouse, Keith Benjamin. Keith, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm pumped, man. Dude. This is cool. Thanks for having me. Dude, thank you for making time for us. I know you're super busy. Charleston's been great. You're our last interview in Charleston before we hit the road again, and honestly, it's been a terrific time Good. here. I'm honored Randy to be had of great it. things to say about you. She's the reason why we're here, and so many other people, when we told them who we're talking to, they're like, oh yeah, awesome. Keith's, Keith's the man. You're going to love him. Awesome. So I'm super excited for today's conversation. I can't wait to dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today and what we're going to learn along the way, but let's get that motivated motivational, inspirational, sure. ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm that type of guy. Um, it's a great question because I grew up an athlete. Um, I played lacrosse at Penn State. I walked on at Penn State wow. um, and I was a captain my fifth year. Um, and how far I, back are we going? Not to date you. Uh, uh, 2001 to 2006. And Penn State is a, was a power is a powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, currently a top ten program. Yeah. Um, and back then we made the NCAA tournament twice. Wow. Um, it was a phenomenal experience. But you know, as a as a former collegiate athlete that walked on, I mean, I'm I'm like a, a guy who watched Rudy growing up. You right. know what I mean? So um, inspiration is something that I, I hold on to, and I try to run my organization um, as as a coach, as a captain, as a leader. Um, and and I I, I oftentimes pull inspiration from my life uh, both as an athlete and as a sports fan so um, this past February I gave all of my partners all of my operating partners a gift and that gift was uh, a quote by Vince Lombardi also happened to me my senior quote which I doctored just a tad because Vince Lombardi wasn't speaking to women uh, 50 or so years ago when he was speaking to the Green Bay Packers Um, I have several female partners so that quote goes as follows any person's finest hour the greatest fulfillment to all he or she holds dear is that moment when that person works their heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious why does that resonate with you? It resonates because our industry is full of ruthless competition, and that competition comes uh, from exterior, uh, sorry, external factors and both uh, and internal factors, right? And so, what I preach to my team is that each and every day, all we can do is show up to work and do our very, very best. Yeah, and. Each day consists of its own battle and its own challenges in our industry because you can come into your day, come into your shift, come into to, to work and say, okay, well, it's all scripted. We're ready to go. But Eric, this is the restaurant industry and no script lasts longer than five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I tell them you have to be ready to adapt yeah. and you have to be willing to and ready to win the day. I think that's one of the things I love the most about the restaurant industry. I tend to be a chaotic person. Sure. I love chaos. I love improv. I love rolling with the punches and that's what you get day to day. Like chaos. If you love chaos, the restaurant industry is for you. Well, there's also, there's also, you know, a component to what we do, which is nightlife, right? Right. And so there's the restaurant industry and then there's nightlife on top of that. And when you, you open your doors to 500 plus people, both here and share house, um, you know, every Friday, Saturday night, there, there's no predicting what happens, right? Right. So, right. so, so you, you have your script, you're ready to go, you have your playbook, but the team has to be willing to adapt and has to be ready to win the night. And so that's what that quote means you, to me. You mentioned inside and outside 
challenges or outside uh, competition, inside sure. and outside competition. I'm yeah. just curious. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, listen, Charleston's a small town, right? Yep. And so, um, you know, we came in here five years ago at Uptown Social specifically. We're actually celebrating our five-year anniversary. 2017. Yeah, uh, yeah. 18. 18. 18 okay. Yeah, April of 18. We opened Bridge Run Weekend. 2018, April 5th, and uh, we're celebrating that anniversary this weekend, so it's pretty exciting. But we came in here, and we were the biggest bar restaurant on King Street, um, an occupancy of uh, 530, um, two floors. We're sitting here on the roof deck, four different bars. Wow. Um, it's a you know, beautiful space, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Right off the rip, you know. Yeah people were nipping at our heels and they're like who are these guys from new york who are coming down here yeah. um, opening this monster monster sports bar restaurant entertainment complex um and what does this mean for us right and so we've had success from day one and of course the pandemic you know um presented its own challenges and i'm sure we'll get to that at some point today but with success comes folks that are seeking that same success right yeah and so the restaurants and bars in a similar space that had been here for a long time started to look at us and say, well, if Uptown is doing it this way, we're going to start kind of shifting our game a little bit and, and, and look at how we can compete and, and also um, piggyback on that success. And I'm a big believer, Eric, that success breeds yes. success. So the reason we came to Charleston is because we saw the volume here in Charleston, yeah. right? And so I love this town. I love the camaraderie of this town. I love the camaraderie of this industry. And it's only the nature of the game that you know other restaurants and bars are going to say, well, we want a piece of the action, right? Right, right? And so I always say, listen, however comfortable and however um, profitable our business might be, you got to be ready for the next day because somebody's coming after you, right? Yep. And they're coming after a piece of the pie. And so we have to continue to innovate and evolve. we have to evolve and be creative and challenge ourselves. Yep. That's that external competition. The internal competition is just, listen... Each and every person in my organization wants to get better and they want to grow, right? Yep. And so sometimes, and it's only the nature of the beast, there's going to be folks within the organization that are competing with one another, right? And so I say, listen, guys, push each other, but also inspire each other and pull something that somebody else does really well and make that something that you also want to do really well. So look at that friendly competition and capitalize on that competition and make yourself better. Great way, man, to get this thing going. Awesome, yeah. dude. I love the way we're starting off today's conversation for sure. And uh, I mean, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because I know that you, you're like you from up New York, sure. right? That area. Yep. How long were you working in the industry before? I mean, you, I'm assuming you graduated right around 2001, 2002? Uh, so 2006. 2006. Yeah, okay, and okay. like I said, I was... Um, I was a captain of, of my lacrosse team at Penn State. Penn State's a Big Ten school. It's also you know top five party school each and every year. Um, I was also in a fraternity because I walked on. I joined a fraternity. I didn't know you know if I was going to make the team. I wanted yeah. some sort of social experience yeah. at Penn State that was organized. And so I was the rush chair. I was the social chair. I was the tailgate chair, which is a thing. Um, and in school... At Penn State, I was organizing tailgates for 500 to 1,000 people. So you're throwing parties. Throwing parties and, and, and with a budget of you know forty to $50,000 every fall semester. Wow. So we're pulling on that budget from our social dues, and we're throwing monster tailgates. And we're, I'm buying a pallet of Natty Light every Saturday for <laughs> you know eight Saturdays a year. For, so you've been doing this since the, your freshman year of yeah, college. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, uh, you know I'm not, I, I guess I don't want to brag too much about this in terms of you know what college athletics looked like 20 years ago. But you know, at the lacrosse house, we were throwing fifteen keg parties. I'm sure on on you know every Saturday night. Lacrosse guys are handsome dudes. Yeah, uh, there's something. I mean, there's there's, <laughs> there's 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 some sort of screw loose. But um, I mean, you 
know, I often get asked, you know, what part of your education at Penn State um, has brought you to where you are today? And I say my overall experience at Penn State is what brought me to where I am today. I studied broadcast journalism. I was a business and American studies minor. I mean, what am I doing now, Eric? I'm running, you know, monster um, sports bars and restaurants. Broadcast journalism. Yeah. Wow, you want to start a podcast? I, you know, I had, a, I had a show with my buddy Charlie called The Morning <laughs> Dew. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, we, we, it was really great, man. You would appreciate this. We were every, every single Tuesday we would get on there and we were streamed. I mean, this is 2005. We were streamed on college on the on this CTV right college television network yeah. whatever that yeah. was and it only streamed to the dorm rooms right so you either had to dial into the website or you could watch in the dorm rooms and we would get on there and we would talk sports for 15 minutes and and then we would talk fraternity sorority life for 45 minutes and we essentially would rate um, I'm not I'm not proud of this but we would rate like sorority classes right and like how cool they were you know what they were what you know what they all looked like and What's we a would, sorority class like like a pledge class oh, right yeah. right and so like we'd get on there we'd be like oh the the most fun partiers are Kyo tw- 2003 <laughs> you know the, the the prettiest blondes are whatever the, you know and it was like it was such a joke but it was like we would sit there and laugh and and uh you know i i hope i wouldn't get canceled 20 years ago i know i was gonna like, try doing that today right no, right but it was just like and we would get out there like all of our you know sorority friends thought it was a total riot and our buddies and other fraternities so anyway just having fun. we were just having fun yeah. it was a good time yeah and, so you've been uh, doing this for a long time i've been time. doing this for a long go time and so, so, go ahead. so go ahead. yeah so i graduated um and I was living at my mom's in North Jersey. My parents were divorced, and I was living at my mom's, and, and I couldn't afford to live in New York City. My dad was a Wall Street guy. Um, so it was always, I lived 20 minutes outside the city. I mean, it's, it's easy to get inside and outside of the city. It is. Uh, New York, especially. The train system is really great. It's like, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I take the train into New York a lot. It's yeah. Not so, so I says to myself, all right, I'm a broadcast journalism major. My, my brother worked in the, in the bar industry for three or four years, and he was making bank, you know, like. New York City bartenders are making yeah. you know four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars a night, whatever. Yeah. So I knew I kind of always had that little bit of a safety net if I wanted it, and I was I took a job um, working at a sports marketing agency, making twenty eight thousand dollars a year. Twenty eight thousand dollars a year in two thousand and six was not a lot of money. No, it's certainly not a lot of money in yeah. two thousand and twenty three, but it wasn't a lot of money in two thousand six. So I said, I don't want to live at my mom's house. I love my mom, but yeah. I don't want to live at her house. How am I going to get into the city? So I picked up a barback job at a bar called Off the Wagon in 2006. Off the Wagon um, is an institution on McDougal Street. It opened in 1998, um, and it's just a killer NYU post-college sports bar, party bar, um, and it's where my brother worked. And so I got a job barbacking and making you know two, three hundred bucks every Wednesday night. So I would work my my day job. What was that? Uh, I was a um, uh, an account manager at a sports marketing agency. So what we, our job was actually to throw monster parties around college football sp- spring games. Okay, it was pretty cool. Like, so you're continuing what you were doing yeah, throughout college, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and and like we had like Fergie book to play nice. Beaver Stadium, and uh, several country artists to play at University of Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Texas A and M. I mean, we had some big schools signed up, and. Um, and I was traveling quite a bit too, but in order to get that apartment in the city, yeah, you need a little uh, extra. I need a little extra money, yeah. so I uh, I picked up a bar back and shift every, every Tuesday or Wednesday night, and I made enough money, saved enough money to move to the city. Nice. Um, 
So at that point, I'm traveling. I'm working Wednesday nights. I'm barbacking. I'm loving it. The energy is unbelievable. Yeah, 22, 20, 23 yeah, year old. Yeah, dude I'm, in the I'm city. living on Wall Street in a in a one bedroom convert. Life three. did not suck. No, no, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, and and uh, fast forward to to the spring of 2008 and. Uh, the shit hit the fan, right? Yeah. Um, the world shut down. Right. And there was not as bad as 2020. Not as bad as 2020. <laughs> you know, comparatively speaking, right. that, was a, that was a walk in the park. But right. the, the sports marketing agency folded and those events that I was working on never actually came to fruition. Oh, man. Bummer. So I went to, to my boss at the time, Danny Thomasis, who is, um, we'll talk about, you know, in terms of a mentor and, and, and a good friend. But Danny um, was running off the wagon at the time, and I went to Danny and I said, "Listen, I need some full time work while I figure Sounds out." Sounds like he was going on a bender when you say that, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> when I figure out what my um, what my real job is going to be, yeah. right? And he's like, "Well, this is my real job, Keith. So you know, I prefer if you don't ever say that again. Yeah. Um, but if you would like some more shifts, yeah, we're opening up the stumble in on the Upper East Side. So I said, "Okay, I'll pick up some shifts till I figure out what I want to do next." Yeah. And uh, I picked up three shifts at the Stumble Inn bartending. And while most of my friends were unemployed living in New York City in 2008, I was walking out with five, six, seven hundred dollars a oh, night. Oh, wow. And um, living the dream. Did you get the, a new apartment? <laughs> I, you know, I did. I did. Nice. Um, I, I, moved so- it, I moved in with my then girlfriend um, a couple years later. But it was, um, it was that money, but more that energy, Eric, that yeah. I was like, Whoa, this is real. What do you mean by the energies? Paint that picture. Yeah, so there's a there's a chaotic energy which I think we talked about at the very beginning here which which you know every restaurant um experiences one way or another. Then there's the nightlife industry. And then there's the nightlife in, uh industry in New York City. And Eric um I know you 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 interview a lot of restaurant tours. I don't know how many folks primarily work in nightlife, but it's a different beast it's a different ball game yeah um and the city that never sleeps right it's the city yeah. that never sleeps and in 2008 when you know the world was 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 uh in a really strange place people were still going to bars yeah and they were still drinking and yeah. it, it, it kind of um holds true even as we got through the pandemic that um you know as chaotic crazy you know otherworldly things go down People look for that place of respite, right? Yeah. And they look for that place where they can escape all of the bullshit that they're dealing with, um, you know, in their lives. And so we opened the Stumble Inn on the Upper East Side, the corner of 76th Street and 2nd Avenue with a really young demographic living on the Upper East Side to this day. Um, and we were balls to the wall. Nice. It was awesome. So at this point, is it your real job? Or are you still thinking this is good for now? So this is, this is 2008, I'm making bank, and my parents say to me, Keith, don't get complacent. We know it's good money, yeah. we get it. My parents met at a bar in Boston. Yeah. Um, they, they understand it, they know what that cash looks like, but they said, don't get complacent, don't get comfortable. You can't possibly have graduated from Penn State and go into the bar business and think that it's going to be worth anything. I said, Okay. I'm not making a commitment anyway. Well, you know. I mean, it's also a dangerous industry to be involved in. A lot it, of people get, you know, especially the nightlife. The, they so, get sucked into the the other the, the, the dark side of the, of the bar industry. So right? my dad passed away three years ago from ALS, um, but before that, he was sober for 26 years. Yeah. So addiction runs deep in my family. My uncle has been sober now. My dad's brother for 26 years. Alcoholism also runs on my mom's side of the family. This is no stranger to my life. Yeah, naturally, uh, they're worried to my know. family, yeah. right? 
And so, uh, and I went to Penn State. And partying has always been a part of my, my DNA. So it's like, okay, Keith, can you handle this? Right? right? Can you handle the temptation? Can you handle the late nights? Can you handle all of the extracurriculars that, that come along with um, being in this industry? And I will tell you, Eric, that I have never, ever, ever done uh, any sort of hard drugs in my entire life. And wow. I'm proud of that. I've never even smoked a cigarette. Wow. Um, you don't even like cigars. I, I, Poor guy's I, got the cigar smell on my cigarette. Right, right, right. Scott right. Shore sitting just, in front of it's just, <laughs> it's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, will I pop a gummy every now and again? Sure. I think that it's uh, it's healthy and it certainly brings brings the uh, the anxiety yeah. of, of our world down. You're in good company. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, um, I mean, you're a New Hampshire guy, yeah. so you get it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that that, that temptation... Um, from my college lacrosse days straight through my, my nightlife days, yeah. never got the best of me. So, I mean, is it because it's in the back of your mind that you know it's a, it could be a challenge for you that you kind of tiptoe around or you, you limit yourself? You, you... No, um, I never tiptoed around it. It just yeah. was something that never interested me. Okay. You know, um, I, uh, it was always around you're me. you're drinking though, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, do, I, I do like to drink and, and at times in my life, I, I drank more than I do now. Yeah. Um, I just got back from Vegas for the bar restaurant show. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I had a couple drinks there. Um, we, we had a blast. I yeah, mean, we had yeah. a blast. But it's, it's something that I keep a close eye on. Yeah. Um, you got to be mindful of it. Yeah, I have two little kids, exactly. two under two right now. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife and I like to go out. We like to have cocktails. We like to drink wine. Yeah. Um, but then we wake up at six o'clock in the morning and we take care of our kids and then I come to work. So, right, man. so you mean, we're up in, on your timeline. We're in 2006, 2007. We're going almost, what, like 15 years ago. So you've been in this industry for, for some time. Yeah. This, this, uh, the, the stumble in is a part of the restaurant group that is the mother or father company of yeah so yeah here. it's the parent company parent of company? Uptown Hospitality it goes by Eat Drink and Be Merry formerly known as NYC Best Does Bars eat, eat Drink and Be Merry Eat Drink and Be Merry so the, the eight locations in New York are Off the Wagon Down the Hatch Three Sheets Saloon um, Hair of the Dog the Gin Mill, Jake's Dilemma, The Stumble Inn, and our most recent location, inspired by Uptown Social, is called Downtown Social. Nice. Yeah, uh, in the East Village, and it's absolutely crushing it. So, um, at this point, yep. you, you've, you're saying to yourself, this, this could be my thing, this could be my career. Yep. Is there a key mentor? Like, How are you evolving as a professional at this yeah, point? Yeah, so, so at this point, um, I was... I was bartender at the stumble in and uh and danny thomasis was that guy for me danny is an old family friend danny goes back uh with my family to the time i'm eight years old watching the giants win the super bowl at his dad's house in short hills new jersey um we go way way back my older brother and danny's brother greg are best friends growing up so the thomasis family is uh the thomasis family and the benjamin family are are, are really really tight and when danny says so to those me, last names for first names yeah the first Tom, names for last thomasis Tom, so oh, okay, not thomas Yes, but Thomas says, so Danny, um, you know, as I'm kind of navigating, in fact, I lived on Danny's couch when I was bartending and off the wagon and the stumble in for a little bit before I moved to the city. And Danny, um, Danny was the guy who I went to and I said, Danny, can this be real? And what does real look like? And how much money can I really make? Danny had been a partner in these New York bars um, since, you know, his late 20s. And, and I just, I needed to know from somebody that I trusted that this could be something real um, and something that could be controlled. Because I, I saw Danny in his late 30s, early 40s. He wasn't married yet. And, you know, he was partying pretty hard. He's a big music fan. He's going to see shows and festivals and living this kind of glamorous single life as a, as a you know, older dude. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, something that, you know, somebody that might want a family someday could do. And um, what did he say? 
Danny said, listen, Keith, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life in terms of getting, you know, get married and settling down, but it is something you can do if that's something that you want to do. In terms of a real job, this has been my real job for 15 years. Can it be your real job? Absolutely. But you have to go all in. And I said, okay, I get it. Um, How do I go all in? He said, well, we have a job for you to manage Jake's Dilemma, which is one of our Upper West Side locations right now. And I said, well... I just got comfortable on the Upper East Side. I'm really. How long are you working for this Upper East Side? Uh, I was somewhere. probably there for about six months. Six months. Six months. Yeah. And, and I you, said. This is your first bartending job. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I said, guys, I, I, I appreciate it, but I just, I need, I need a, I need just a little bit longer to make sure I want this to be my real job. Yeah. A and B, um, I don't want to go to another bar right now. I'm right. just getting comfortable building this bar. I'm building my regulars. Building yeah. my regulars yeah. on the Upper East Side. And Eric. There's nothing cooler than building business, right. right? And I preach that to my staff all the time, especially the bartenders, right? And the servers. I say, listen, we're in this small town, Charleston. Yes, we have all these tourists. But generally speaking, we need our locals to love this place, yeah. right? And I was 25 years old on the Upper East Side, which is this really cool neighborhood, building it, right? And I said, I want to keep building this. I'm going to pass up this management opportunity right now. But if it comes back to me at the Stumble Inn at some point, I'm in. You're probably making pretty good money. So. And I'm making good money, right? <laughs> yeah. And everybody knows once you go from bartending yeah. to managing, you, you know, take a cut. So yeah. anyway, um, I so uh, I want to I want to tap the brakes real quick. Sure. So you you gave us some uh, some clues as to your your superpowers building regulars. Yeah. Uh, did you train your people how to build regulars when you when you get like how, what, what I does, train them to this day. What does it look like? Um, it looks like putting your ego, checking your ego at the door, okay. right? Um, each and every bartender has an ego to some extent they just do everybody has an ego. everybody has an ego but you I, I always said when I bartended and I bartended for eight years you go from Clark Kent on one side of the bar to Superman on the other side <laughs> and I could sit at that bar in that stool right now and those four pretty girls probably wouldn't look at me they just wouldn't it's just you know whatever I'm a, I'm a 40 year old dude not everybody is very catchatory <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but wearing the same exact thing yeah. Give me a, 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 a bar key and put me on that side of the bar, and those four girls are going to ask, hey. ask my name right away, not because they want a free drink, but because they want to get to know me a little right. bit better. And right. it's, it's pretty cool. It's, 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 a, it's a position that you can, you can a, a job, a vocation that you can hold, and if you do it the right way, you can meet a lot of people, whether yeah. it's guys, girls, whatever it is, meet, make friends, meet girlfriends, meet boyfriends, significant others, whatever that looks like, um, but... You can't go back there with a chip on your shoulder. You need to go back there with confidence, but if you go back there with a chip on your shoulder and feeling in any way like you are better than your customer, your customer isn't going to come back because yeah. your customer is sitting at that bar, and I, I preach this to my team all the time, Eric. Our customer has a choice. Our customer has a choice. Our customer can sit in that bar stool or they can sit in any hundreds of bar stools in New York City, Charleston, Nashville, wherever, Right. They choose to spend their money sitting at that bar stool. Yeah. And that is a privilege. Yes. And that's a privilege. And so I preach to my staff that if they want to earn a living, it's their choice. They can make as much money as they want or as little money as they want. Little money as they want. But if it's not a priority for them to build their customers and build their regulars and make that money for themselves and make that money for the business, then they're in the wrong business. So how much longer did you go working at the Stumble Inn, building these regulars before you decided to take a management role? So I'm a Jewish guy, and um, I I uh, went on birthright. And I don't know if you've heard of the birthright trip, but the birthright trip is for anybody of... Um, 
Uh, Israel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anybody who is um, half Jewish or 100% Jewish and lives anywhere in the world. They get an all-expenses-paid trip to Israel. Damn, what if I married you? Right? Go for it. <laughs> There's actually trips for adults that are not nice. fully funded, but but if you marry Jewish, you can take those trips, <laughs> believe it or not. Go for it. Um, so um, I was 26 years old, and I went on this birthright trip. Yeah. And it was, a, uh, it was a two-week trip to Israel where I toured around. And it's one of those trips where, you know... Um, you come back, I think everybody comes back with some sort of an epiphany because you learn about one of the oldest places on earth. Right. And you learn about the persecution and you learn about the trials and the tribulations of, of the Jewish people. Um, you learn about challenges. You learn about um, the way Israel was born in, in 1948 after the Holocaust. Um, and you get this certain perspective in a place that you simply cannot get anywhere else. And... Uh, I had a moment. I had a moment. And the moment wasn't, you know, I need to marry Jewish, or I need Jewish kids, or I need to live in Israel. The moment was, do what you feel is right for you, Keith. Do what um, in your heart of hearts, or in your stomach, or in your head, or... um, Block out those external that external noise, whether it's from mom and dad, from my girlfriend at the time, from buddies that were saying you need to get that real job, and just do what feels right. And I came back from Israel in, uh, in late August... 2009 and I went to Danny and I said Danny I want this to be my real job Mm. but if I want this to be my real job I can't just be a bar manager I want to be a bar manager at the Stumble Inn and he said there's a position available for you here now but I want to be a partner you're a partner you're a partner for 15 years how do I become a partner and Danny said let me introduce you to I already knew the guys kind of on the surface, but let me introduce you to the founding partners, Mitch Banchik and Michael Ash, who started the group in 1991. And, uh, you know, feel it out with them. So this is something that um, I've always had an interest in, in curiosity around this idea of partnerships. A lot of people, you know, you hear a lot of contradicting advice. Don't get partners. You need partners. I tend to lean in the direction of you need partners. Yeah. Because I think if you're going to build something special... You need to attract onto yourself the people that are going to treat it like they own it. Sure. And if they do have a skin, you know, piece of the game, like skin in the game, they're going to treat it like they own it. You know, like they, they literally own it. And you, like, I don't know how else, especially today, how do you get those people? How do you attract on that top talent? Yes. They want skin in the game. They want equity. That's it. That's, that's, that's the answer right there. Yeah. So, so Mitch and Michael started this with that um, format in place when they opened their first bar and second bar in 1991 and 1992 or 93, which was uh, uh, down the hatch and then most Caribbean, most Caribbean, which was uh, in 2008 turned into the Stumble Inn. But um, their formula was let's bust our ass opening these places and get our friends and friends of friends involved financially so that they want to work as hard as we do and then we can kind of scale back in terms of working those crazy nights and weekends and have people that can do that work and, and, and build build their uh, life around this. Are you willing to talk about how you guys structure that? Because I think this is where people get most caught up. I am. They don't know how to structure sure. it. How do you structure it? Yeah, so... Um, you know, in, in 2009, I went and met with Mitch and Michael, and they said, um, <laughs> save up your money, and, um, and it's not cheap, 
but we'll make a small percentage available to you within the next couple of years. Just continue to prove yourself. You're now managing. Continue to bartend your butt off. How do you make percentage available to somebody? So it's either available based on, um, for us specifically, it, it's it's a pie. So the, the pie is 100 points. Yep. Um, and then Is it 100% of profit? Goes it's 100% someplace? of profit. So you have Got to it. buy in. When we, so when we open a location... You, you, we figure out what the cost is to open the plate, op, op, open the store, yep. and we all invest that amount of money into the uh, into the business into opening startup the, cost, startup cost, and that's the value of the point when you open. So the, determining the, the amount, the percentage you put up yep. to get started determines your ongoing percentage of profit. Correct. Got now it. the way that changes if somebody wants to cash out based on retirement or what have you, um, or. Dilution and oftentimes throughout the years. What do you mean dilution? So that 100 points, we'll say, okay, we have a great up and coming partner like Keith Benjamin at the Stumble Inn. We have 100 points taken, nobody's selling, but we really, really want him in. And if he comes in, he can continue to make this business better, and we'll all continue to make we'll the all same. We'll make more money. We'll make more money. So instead of everybody having, you know, one point or three points or five points of that 100, Keith's going to buy two points. And now that goes up to 102 points. So of that 10, say, let's say on every dollar you guys put 10 cents away to profit. Sure. Right? Just for simple enough. Yep. You would get 0.02% of that 10%. Correct. And would you get a salary on top of that? Yes. Cool. Yep. So all partners take a salary. Um, it's not huge. Got it. Um, it's enough to make ends meet, really, for us, um, and, and a little bit more than that. Do you mind me asking what 0.20% looks like yeah it, it really all depends on on the bar gross you're doing, on, yeah what, what the gross looks like but i mean i'll i'll, I'll, I'll give you a range based yeah. on you know what a what a point costs. i mean in new york city like I'm, I'm sure that's not horrible right no and but it all depends right are you opening a bar in 1998 or are you opening a bar in 2023 right yeah. so you know a point back then could have been 5k right. and a point you know these days based on the the this the size and scale of your location could be 30 40 grand right you know it's it's and and all of our investment comes from internal dollars, yeah. meaning we don't take, to this point, we don't take outside investors, we haven't taken bank loans, we have taken on no debt. So if Keith wants 5% of the business, 10% of the business, Keith has to find a way to get that money. And I got news for you, Eric. I don't have that money. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, yeah. in order to fork over, you know, six figures, north of six figures worth of money to invest yeah. in these places, you need to go to mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, friends of grandma, grandpa, friends of grandma, grandma, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to everybody. In my mind, like you get a, you get like a, your piece, right? Your 1% yeah. or your 0.05%. Yep. And then as the company evolves, as people move on. Sure you can start absorbing a little bit more. So you, you just get like your little, take what you can now, yep, right? Yep. And then as the, the company evolves, as people move on, as people get pushed out, yep. if the things aren't it, working. And that like, happens. Yeah. That so, happens, yeah. Uh, you just start where you can. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, and so for me in 2011, that number was $60,000. Wow. And awesome. for, two, for 2%. And, uh, and, and, and salary on top of that? And a sal- Well, that's what I had to invest. Oh, uh, got it. So, so that's what I had to come up with 60,000. So I had to come up with 60K. 
Uh, funny enough, I had like uh, you know six thousand dollars put away for my bar mitzvah, okay. um, and then I said to myself, "Where am I going to come You're up 10% with the rest?" There. Right, right. <laughs> so um, you know, they gave me about a year to figure it out, right? Yeah. And so I bartended and I put everything away. Wow. I put everything away. I saved and I saved and I saved. Did you move back in with mom? I, I didn't. I didn't. But I but I didn't move out. You know, like I said, yeah. I moved in with my girlfriend. Yeah, we had a, a you know a, a tiny little apartment in New York City. Rent was couple thousand bucks yeah. you know um it it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a, a monumental expense yeah. for me in terms of rent and cost of living but i was living i was living pretty tight and when you when you empty your bank account at 28 years old with everything you've ever saved you better believe in what you're putting your money into yeah. and and i saw the history with these guys and i said i believe in this so how have you evolved so you could in 2000 so almost 10 years later you, you were working as a partner in New York City. Uh, it took you 10 years to be able to go do your own thing. Sure. Uh, is, this, is that safe to say? Or did you, did you do anything in New York? Were All right. You, so, is there more of the story? I mean, we're, we're yeah. So, so um, stumble in, 2%, kicking ass, really, really doing well there. Um, and Mitch and Michael approached me, and they said, we just signed a lease on the Lower East Side for a bar um, that we believe to be in the best location in New York City corner of Orchard and Stanton Street. And we want you to co-operate that space. How long after this was it after becoming a, year. a partner? A year a later. Year. So you, you finally, so a year after they say, hey, wait, a year from when, when they give you the opportunity? A year. So, years this, this, so, so 2011, I become a partner in January, January 1, 2011. It took you a year to get the, the capital. The capital. Right? And then call it mid-2011, they sign a lease. Okay. And they say, we want you to go open Hair of the Dog on the Lower East Side. And we want you to invest as the senior partner there. Nice. Um, co-senior so partner there. You, you finally, like, finally, I got my, like, I invest. Now you start all over again. Eric, you have to I'm 40 years old. I've now been reinvesting for 12 years. It's it's a constant cycle, right? And but that's the idea. That's the, I mean, yeah. I mean, when, like, I'm a, I'm a fan of Profit First. I don't yep. know if you know that. Do you, are you I did familiar? not. So the idea behind Profit First is every, every dollar you make, you, you take 10% and you put it into a savings account. Sure. And a high interest savings yep. account, and you don't touch that money sure. unless you're buying an asset. Yep. So the whole idea is you're, you start you start building wealth. Sure. Um, so that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. You're taking a percentage of your income, you're putting it away, and you're putting it towards buying more. Uh, that's percent, what I've done. That's more I've points. Done. Right? That's what I've done for 12 years, and I just bought. I didn't own anything in my life. I, I kid you not. I didn't own anything in my life until I bought a house. Uh, six months ago. Congratulations. Thank man. you. It was awesome. It felt so great. So how are you evolving as a professional during this time? They're, yeah. Clearly, you're kicking ass because yeah. they're offering you opportunities. Sure. They're giving you the best location yep. in the company. Yep. What, like, how, how are you changing? How are you evolving? What's so we go, we go up and hair the dog on the Lower East Side. Now, the Lower East Side is not the Upper East Side. The Upper East Side is, is this tight little um, neighborhood where, where locals pretty much frequent that bar. The... Lower East Side draws what we call in the New York area the bridge and tunnel crowd, right? So people come from Long Island. They come from New Jersey. They come from um, Westchester. Is it the Holland Tunnel? Holland, Lincoln, oh, Holland okay. Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel, GW, Tappan Zee Bridge. I mean, people come. I say the Holland Inn. That's, my, that's my, what there I can afford whenever I go there you to go. the city. So, so people come from all over the metropolitan area to visit a destination bar like Hair of the Dog. Got it. Hair of the Dog, right off the rip, when we opened in October of 2012, just started crushing it. Started crushing it. I was bartending still. I was doing three nights, three nights a week behind the bar. 
I was mar- I was almost married to um, my now ex-wife. Uh, I'm, I'll get to that at some point, but um, I've since remarried and I have two kids, and uh, it's amazing. Um, but I was I was. Um, and we could talk about the, the effects of the industry, certainly on relationships. I'm sure it'll come it's, out. It's it's uh, it's a real thing for sure. But um, yeah, we were doing great, and uh, I was living on the Lower East Side. I was walking to work five minutes, walking to work awesome. every day, up until I bought this house in 2022, uh, which was just six months ago. I had walked to work for for the better part of ten years. Wow, Eric, when I tell you walking to work is the greatest thing in the world, <laughs> not having to commute. Right now, my commute is a max twenty minutes in a car. Yeah. Depending but on traffic getting over the bridge. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Eric, it's so great walking to work. I it's bet. such a level of stress taken off your day. Anyway, I digress. I mean it's a it's a good habit too. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so great. yeah, get into some of the details of Yeah, how so Hair the Dog was crushing it right away and I said, you know what? We can't run this place like it's a uh, like it's a neighborhood bar. I need to run it like it's an entertainment hub, right? And right off the rip, I started to kind of look around. Granted, this is before I don't have my phone. I thought I did. Um, but this is before everybody had a phone in their hands, right? So I think it was probably still BlackBerry time, maybe just on the cusp of post-flip phone era. Yeah. Everybody was kind of starting to get their iPhone. But Instagram wasn't around yet, and it was Facebook. And, and people people were kind of scrolling a little bit on Facebook. But um, my inspiration wasn't coming from, from what I saw on social media. We'll get to this. Uh, it was coming from what I saw in real, in real life. What were you seeing? I was seeing parties around New York that were being thrown in a better way than I was throwing my party at Harry What was Dog. better about the way these parties were being thrown? The level of entertainment, specifically, that these other bars and nightclubs were bringing in was just head and shoulders above what we were doing at Harry yeah, Dog. Um, we were bringing in what I like to call the iPad or iTunes DJ, where we would put somebody that looked like you or me in a booth that had a cool Mac uh, in the DJ booth and just and set a up taste of music and just throw a playlist on. Yeah. You know, that's and what you were doing. That's what we were doing. Yeah. And it was fine. I mean, you know, we could put on shout and we could put on uh, <laughs> piano man and we could put on, uh, you know, uh, brown eyed girl and you know, whatever the top 40 was at the time, but it just wasn't being mixed and it wasn't being produced and it wasn't being um, delivered. Put, it wasn't being delivered and there was no energy in the booth. So yeah. it would literally be like you sitting in front of your computer, just like, like this for eight hours, yeah. right? And so I'd go to these other bars and I'd see these DJs in front of these tables like we're sitting at right now dancing, yeah. right? And, and, and mixing music, right? Like DJs do. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, I need to do that. I need to do that, right? And so um, I started, I, I went to a, a buddy of mine at a bar, which I really um, respect uh, in, in Brooklyn called The Freehold. And the guys that opened The Freehold are um, two former employees of ours um, named uh, Bryce and Brad. And Bryce and Brad left the 13th step at the time to open the freehold and they were bringing this high-end entertainment into the freehold so i went there and i saw what they were doing and i said can you guys put me in touch with your dj group they said sure of course and uh and and at the time eric we were paying our djs 17 dollars an hour you can't get a real dj for 17 dollars an hour so we had to up the game and we were then paying fifty to sixty dollars an hour for a real DJ. Did the DJ become a partner? <laughs> the DJ, <laughs> that those DJs did not become partners, but but those guys brought that next level of entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And so we bring up a point. It reminds me of Nickel City. Um, the 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 owner of that place is escaping my mind. Have you heard of Nickel City in Austin, Texas? I haven't. But they're known for sh- for throwing amazing he- events. And sure. when I was talking to the owner, he said, "I'm not a bar owner. I'm yeah. an event. I'm an event." 
have producer right? producer yeah, yeah well, I can't remember the words he yeah. used uh, and that's the the mindset is every night is a party there's an event there's an, a promotion yep. there's a collaboration yep. you're bringing somebody who has influence in and you're giving them a space to bring their crowd with them right so that's where we are today yeah. that's where that's where Uptown Social Sharehouse and Bodega are in 2023 and that is how our company is growing rewind to 2020 sorry 20, 2012 13 14 we were just weren't doing it that way yeah. and, and um, I was self teaching myself as to how to take our concept to the next level. So I'm now um, in my young 30s. My marriage is kind of on the rocks. Um, it was... Now in your timeline, the story, and this is going back to what, 2000? This is 2014-14. Got it. Yep. Um, had already been married here in Charleston, South Carolina, destination wedding. Oh. Um, was that your first taste of Charleston? It was my first taste of Charleston. It was, did it you was, fall in love back then? I did. Nice. I did. And um, I fell in love with King Street. And so it's, it's 20, 2014, 2015. I'm talking to Mitch. I'm talking to Michael, who, who have since become mentors, and, and saying, what's next for me, guys? What's going on here? And they're like, yeah, we're always looking for the next deal. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. But, uh, you know, just hold tight. Things are going well for you to hair of the dog. You have some points at um, the Stumble Inn. You now have points at hair of the dog. Nice. You have points. Compounding. I, I, uh, I had, I had a, a very small percentage at the 13th Step, which is now Downtown Social, and a small percentage at uh, Down the Hatch. Once again, just this vicious cycle yep. of reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting. And, uh, and I says to myself, how do I make it big? Right. If, if, if I'm sitting here and waiting for these guys to tell me what's next and then I just get kind of a small to decent piece, how am I going to really grow and how am I going to get better and how am I going to spread my wings? And we had meeting after meeting, Eric, about rising rents, rising minimum wage, rising um, uh, costs all over the board. And our profits in New York were just incrementally going down. Yeah. Right. Just based on all sorts of factors. Yeah. Right. So, I'm talking to my therapist, which I think probably everybody has at this point. And if you don't, I'm a huge proponent of mental I health. Need, I, I've never had a therapist, yeah. but you know, as you start to scale a business, yeah. you need someone to talk to. It's, it's really an incredible thing. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I know we're not here to necessarily talk about this. Maybe we will, but mental health is, is something that um, just gets swept under the rug in our society. For sure. And specifically in our industry, where we are just working crazy, crazy hours, weekends, and having trouble being present for our family and our significant other, um, therapy is just yeah. tremendously helpful. So anyway, I'm talking to my therapist at the time, going through some marital issues, and um, and just kind of telling her that I felt a bit, a bit stagnant in New York, and um, told her that I was starting to think about, perhaps at some point, opening a place in Charleston, South Carolina. But I mean, how could that really be real? I mean, I'm not from Charleston. I know nothing about Charleston. I'm a Jewish kid from the Northeast. I went to Penn State. I've lived in New York City for, you know, nine, ten years at that point. How would I ever have the balls to just rip off the Band-Aid and move away? Right. Right? And she said, well, Keith, you're a confident guy. You seem to have a fairly good grasp on what's going on in the, you know, bar restaurant world. Don't sell yourself short. You know, make that dream a reality if, in fact, that's something you want to do. Right. So I approach my very best friend in the world, Michael Jacober. Michael Jacober and I went to summer camp together in 1991 in Casco, Maine. Michael's mother, Karen, and my mother went to summer camp together in New Hampshire 30 years before that. 
Where in New Hampshire? I need to know. Uh, I don't know. I'll oh, get okay. I'll get that answer. Okay. I'll get that answer. <laughs> but uh, but I, I knew you'd appreciate that. So. Yeah. So Mike and I become instant best friends when we're eight years old, and on visiting day, our moms walk in, and my mom says, Kiki, and she says, Robin, and it was just, it was wild. Anyway, we were best friends in camp. Uh, he's a Providence, Rhode Island guy. I'm a, I'm a New Jersey guy. We lost touch in high school, and then um, enter my freshman year at Penn State. He got recruited to play lacrosse, and I was a walk-on, and we ended up Damn. back, back yeah. together. So Michael ends up opening um, his own grilled cheese truck in New York City um, called Morris Grilled Cheese. Okay. Yeah. And then he ends up uh, starting a restaurant called Gladys, named after his grandmother, where he's doing jerk Caribbean food in the middle of Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Another Jewish guy. But great story. He goes down to Jamaica and tells, he hires a guide not to take him to a single resort, but to take him to any mom and pop kitchen in Jamaica to teach him how to make Caribbean food for the Caribbean demographic in in uh, Crown Heights. Nice. Pretty cool story. That's cool. So he he masters it and his restaurants just crush it. Nice. So anyway, he bu- he builds up a portfolio, sells his portfolio right before the pandemic. Smart, <laughs> right? Lucky. Who would have known? <laughs> um, and but 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 has always just been that person for me. Yeah, like like a brother. Um, a brother, um, my uh, he officiated my first wedding and was the best man in my second. Wedding. I mean, we're, we're, we're best friends. So anyway, I go to Mike and I say he's he's still operating his businesses in 2015, and I say, Mike, I want to do this. What do you think? And he said, Well, how about this, Keith? He goes, Pitch it to Mitch and Michael. Do your research, dig deep. You know they're going to want to see it, and if they don't want to do it, I'll do it with you. And that's all I needed to hear. I just needed Back to hear. I just needed to hear that a I had support from somebody yeah. um, outside of my therapist, and b that if for whatever reason the guys that I had been working with for the previous seven years didn't want to make this aggressive move south, that I had somebody that would do it. So, sure enough, I go to Michael and Mitch. In uh, this was 2016 at this point, and I say, uh, guys, I have an idea. And it's going to sound crazy to you, but I want to move to Charleston, South Carolina, and I want to open a bar. What was the look on their face when you said this? They said exactly what I thought they would say. Have you done any research? And you had at this point. I have. Nice. And they said, well, what have you done? And I just sent them a deck. Take us through that process of what that research looks like. But first, let's take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to unpackage what that looks like. This podcast is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. As a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 plus years, Mies founder and CEO Josh Sharkey was frustrated that only the financial and inventory software was available in the kitchen. And while those are important, they don't actually address the process of cooking, training, production, collaboration, and execution. Whether you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies was built just for you. Organize, share, prep, and scale your recipes like never before. Plus, get laser-accurate food costs and nutritional analysis faster than you could ever imagine. Chefs that use Mies have seen, on average, 70% reduction in training time for new staff, 20 to 30% less food waste and overproduction, and an average of thirty to 50000 reduction in annual cost of goods sold from their easy-to-use recipe engineering. 
Part of the magic in Mies is a built-in database of thousands of ingredients that have been tested by Mies chefs and registered dietitians to ensure all the yield loss when you prep an ingredient as well as the unit conversions from volume to weight to pieces are built in, not to mention automated allergen tagging to ensure you have a consolidated view of allergens and nutrition. Get started by visiting getmes.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today. Revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with Mies. All right, we're back, and you just approached your your partners yep. and you said, "Hey, I want to open, uh, I want to do something in Charleston." Yep. Uh, did, you, did you do the research? Was I did the research. Up? So, so I took my my buddy's advice, Mike, and and I had put together a deck, and I had demographics. I had the number of people moving to Charleston every day. I had the number of people visiting Charleston every year. I had uh, the tourists versus the local What are those numbers breakdown. look like? Well, I mean, this was 2016. There were 50 new people moving to Charleston daily. Wow. Um, 50 daily? 50 daily and um, the Charleston, the greater Charleston area and 6 million tourists a year. We're now in 2023 at close to 9 million tourists a year. Jesus. I don't know what the number is at in terms of people that are moving here, but I will tell you during the pandemic, it was, it was a mass exodus from the Northeast. People were just moving here by the droves. I did notice there's a crap ton of New Yorkers yeah. in Charleston. Yeah, crap ton. I, feel, I always say uh, Florida is Southern, southern New England. So, Florida, southern, <laughs> Florida is Southern New England um, and, and, uh, and Southern um, Jewish New York and New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but Charleston is just that place that, that people... It's southern Manhattan. Yeah, just, look at, <laughs> just looking for like a super approachable place to live. Yeah. Um, Albeit quite expensive now, right. um, it's just become such a high, a place in such high demand. Um, and I can get to, to what we were charging for a drink in 2018 versus what we're charging right. five years later, based on a number of factors. But anyway, rewind. So I had done the, the, the demographic research um, and and the population research, and Eric, it was the coolest thing. I I, I I pitched them on this on a Wednesday, and on a Friday, Mitch calls me and he's on an airplane and he says, "Hey, Keith." I'm going to I'm going to Charlotte. I think Charlotte's pretty close to Charleston. He says, and I'm like, oh, well, it's about three hours away. He says, I'm going to Charlotte to visit my sister, and I'm only going for a night. And I'd like to go down to Charleston based on your research. If you can set me up with a broker, I'll check out Charleston over the weekend, and I'll go meet the broker on Saturday. And I said, Mitch, with all due respect, and I don't know if you got beep. Bleep things out no, on man, here. With this, we know our target audience, so I know who I'm talking to. Go fuck so. yourself, buddy. <laughs> you're not going anywhere by yourself. Yeah, I, I said, I said, I'm getting on an airplane and meeting you there if, yeah. you're, if you're amenable yeah. to, to, to taking a look at, at Charleston. He said, giddy up, let's go. <laughs> so we uh, we met in Charleston on Saturday. This was Friday. Nice, nice. And, uh, and I was in Charleston on Saturday, and we, we do what we do best, and we went on a bar curl. Nice. And uh, we, went around, we went around Charleston that 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 night and um the last time i had been here was my first wedding and um i hadn't been in, in like five years before we start talking about yeah, what you years. guys discovered when you came to charleston i, I kind of want to i think i cut you short you're talking about how many people were moving to charleston uh over year over year yeah uh the percentage of, of tourism that was here sure you started you were continuing on that train yeah so it's college town which is yep. super helpful yep. both for for the fact that there's 
11,500 kids that go to the College of Charleston. Now, granted, they're not all 21, but yeah. but but a good chunk of them are. Um, there's the Citadel. I don't know exactly what the enrollment is there, and they don't go out as much. Yeah. There's Charleston Southern, which is right around the corner as well. Um, and then there's Clemson, you know, three or four hours away, and uh, University of South Carolina, an hour and a half away. And so, much like I talked about Bridge and Tunnel, you know, if somebody wants to change it up a little bit and they live an hour outside of town or an hour and a half and or they have a, a, a spring weekend or whatever it is. Beach day. Hey, let's shoot to Charleston yeah. for the weekend, right? Yeah. And so those are those are all really important factors for us. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that with a college demographic comes their parents, right? Yeah. And so when their parents come to town, they're looking to entertain yeah. their kids and their kids' friends. And just like I did when I was at Penn State, you know. My parents were taking out my teammates, and their parents were taking me out, right? And so it just, Eric, it was a remarkable exercise in figuring out how to check all the boxes, and I just felt like we checked them. Yeah. I, I felt like before we got on the airplane, we checked the boxes. But I think the other underlying message here, and it's a great advice from your mentor, Danny, before you approach them, do your homework. Do your homework. Eliminate the no's. Yep. Find out what they could possibly say no to, yep. and then take that no away with an answer. Right, right, right. And so... um we, we arrived in Charleston on a Saturday night in April 2016, and, and as we're sitting here on this gorgeous April day, I mean, you get a... <laughs> I walked onto campus at Penn State my, uh, my junior year, and I didn't want to go there. That wasn't my first choice. And I walked on on a 75-degree May. It was Memorial Day weekend, and it was, it was a May day, and uh, it was the most gorgeous day. And I said, this is where I want to go to college. And I had the same experience, Eric. That day, coming down here to look, to, to, to go on this bar crawl, to do R&D, yeah. it was a day like this. And I'm like, how is this not the greatest place on earth? Right. I mean, how is it not? I mean, King Street's pretty special. King Street's special, and yeah. Charleston's special, and it has this history, and yeah. it has this nostalgia, and it has this charm, right? It it's, it's just... It's a, a coastal town. It's a coastal town, and yeah. I, I get off the plane, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for the first time on a non-wedding-related uh, excursion, if you will, and I'm like... This is it. Yeah. This is it. This is Camelot. Yeah. Right? How do I figure out how to get this shit done? Right? So how'd you guys settle on this location? So um, so we do the bar crawl and on a, on a Saturday night, and, uh, and Mitch and I are blown away, Eric, by the lines. I mean, line after line after line after line. You couldn't, we couldn't get a reservation to eat anywhere. And I mean, just from me personally walking king street today yeah there's a lot of spots but they're small they're small this is a, the biggest space i've been and i haven't been in a lot of spaces yeah. but yeah is it one of the bigger bars in so it's the biggest easily yeah. easily the biggest it's almost ten thousand square wow. feet so um coming from new york we said we need a we need a space the size of hair of the dog to do hair of the dog things throw a huge party on yeah. king street events yeah we quick, quickly realized that due to the fact that we're in the low country and there's significant flood risk all over the place, there's no basements here in Charleston. So when you eliminate basements... Does that have anything to do with why there's no gas stations? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I was trying to find one earlier so. because, because there's so much water? No, no. I don't <laughs> anyway, believe that's the case. Just curious. Um, Keep but, going. <laughs> but, but we'll talk to the infrastructure folks yeah. about that. Um, so, yeah, there's no basements. And we're like, holy shit. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to build? Where are we going to put our kitchen? Where are we going to put our bathrooms? Where are we going to put our storage, right? So we're like, okay, there goes the hair of the dog footprint because we had a basement. We have a basement, hair of the dog, and 2,500 usable square feet for the floor plan. So we said, well, we need a bigger place. And so after that Saturday night in which we saw lines all over the place and just just the most wonderful group of people up and down King Street that were super welcoming and answering all of our questions and, you know, partying, partying really hard. 
Um, we took it fairly easy on Sunday. We, we, we experienced Sunday fun day the best that we possibly could, which as we're drinking out of Sunday fun day nice. cups right now, um, uh, we, we set up appointments with a broker on, on Monday. I, I don't need to really delve into what we didn't like about many of these places, but I'll just tell you they were too small, right? They were just too small. Is that just a, a sheer volume thing where you need to, you need to hit a certain amount to, to, to validate coming in? Absolutely. Okay. What, uh, what is that threshold for you? You know, the, the, first, the first thing that we learned is that the, there were lines everywhere because the fire code is pretty strict, Yeah. right? And so with the fire code being you know, really strict and, and we absolutely respect, you know, what the fire marshal and building department and everybody, you know, I've, I've a, a great relationship with, with the local city government here in Charleston. And, um, you know, we, we learned that we just needed a big space to get the amount of bodies in. Right. And so, um, we didn't know what that math looked like back in 2016, but we knew we needed more space. Yes. So, um, we, we saw a couple of smaller spots and we said there's you know there's no way that 100 or 200 people will just make those they just won't make the numbers work and the rents the rents on King Street while they're not New York City I was gonna, I was curious about that they're significant right yeah. and uh, and so we're we're up and down King Street and we knew we had to be on King Street we knew we had to be on the main drag and we walk into this building and when I tell you Eric that this building was a dilapidated mess that should have been bulldozed many years before we walked in. I would be not exaggerating in the least. It was really in a scary, uh, scary. The building we're condition. sitting at today. What's that? This, this building that we're at. Yeah, today. and I'll and, and and when we break, I'll show you some pictures. Okay, and maybe you share them as part of what we're talking about yeah. because it was, um, it was a place that we walked in and when we talked about our our initial investment costs, right, to get a place open, we Mitch and I looked at each other and we said. Oh God, Keith, Mitch, this is going to cost us a lot of money if we can do this, if we want to do this. And the other thing that we needed to know when we came down here is that they're um, dating back to, I believe, 2015, maybe slightly before that. There's been a moratorium on late night liquor licenses in Charleston. The point being that the folks around here, while they do support nightlife um, and the growth they have not wanted to turn it into a bourbon street, um, which I applaud them for. And so in order to secure one of those licenses, a license has to be grandfathered into a specific building. Got it. Um, Unless you can somehow work a zoning exemption, and that's really difficult. So this was one of a very small handful of buildings that had a grandfather's grandfathered license dating back to when it was called LJ's. And LJ's was like an old soul food joint um, on King Street. Um, and the guy who owned LJ's is a guy named LJ Hugie. LJ Hugie still owns the building next to Uptown Social. Okay. Uh, behind Uptown Social. And his family is the coolest family ever. They're old school Charleston, African American. Um, we had LJ's uh, nephews and, uh, and cousins working in our kitchen That's when we cool. opened um, Uptown Social. Uh, they brought their family Roper. So it's the Hugie Roper family. The Roper family brought their fried chicken recipe um, to Uptown Social. We did a soul food night in which we paid tribute to the Hugie and, and Roper family early on. I love that. Um, and it was so cool. These guys were so proud of the recipe. And they've, they've since gifted it to us we don't have fried chicken on the menu it's just it's not something that we do here but we've done some pop-ups with fried chicken and it's just like we're so honored to have that family recipe yeah it's cool you pay homage to it totally and 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 i mean gosh eric charleston 
the, the history here is so rich, and there's been people that are that have people that have been here for hundreds of years, right? People and their families, right? right. And 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 to see LJ's family, who's been in Charleston for as long as you know he can tell us those stories, right? And then hear everything that he has to tell us about how special this place is. Yeah, is truly unique. So you you get the space, right? Yeah. The space becomes yours. Any lessons learned during this time, challenges uh, overcame, things that you can pay forward to our listeners, and how to you know not do what you did if you did anything wrong, but also what did you do right? So respect the fear, mm-hmm. right? Um, the fear in opening a place is very real. The fear in opening a place in a town that you've never ever lived in is really real. Yeah. And the fear in opening a place in a town that you've never been in that's 10,000 square feet is terrifying. Right. I respected that fear um, dating back to those days, but I immediately compartmentalized that fear. And it was the best thing that I ever did. How do you compartmentalize fear? Because uh, the, the way to do that, Eric, is um, by having a, a unique sense of confidence. Um, without confidence, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, without confidence, you simply can't take risks or take chances. Is this is where the therapist comes in? Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but it's just a fact, right? Yeah. And so um, I've never lacked confidence. It, it, it's what allowed me to walk onto the lacrosse team at Penn State. Yeah. Um, it's what allowed me to, to over- walk into a bar as a bartender yeah. with no experience. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. All, all of those things. And so um, if you're going to take a, a shot as an entrepreneur, you need confidence. Yeah. You simply cannot be paralyzed by that fear. Right. But you have to know what's on the line, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's that vicious cycle of investing and reinvesting and re- reinvesting. And now, here we are in Charleston, South Carolina, with a crazy rent on King Street with 10,000 square feet and build-out costs in the millions, yeah. right? I'm not, I'm not borrowing money from a bank, I'm having to come up with that money myself again. Yeah. And and this time... Well, you also... I mean, you're not doing it alone either, which I no. think is really cool and, and worth pointing out. You have the restaurant group behind you. Yep. Like you have a, this, The cool thing about having partners is you don't have to do it alone. You can lean right. on the strength of other people. Right. And you have access to partners who have opened how many bars? I mean, listen, we have... Uh, between New York, Chicago, and Charleston, we now have 15 locations. Yeah. So yeah. you have access to this team, which yep. is one of the cool things about partnering with other people. Yep. And I mean, just doing a little bit of research to prepare for today's conversation. When you opened, you opened with one, two, three, four, five, five partners. And the two partners... Are they included in that list? So that's not even including Michael and Mitch. And then the infrastructure and partners that we have in New York. The re- access to the tools and resources and just the, the human equity. It's incomparable. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's worth noting. Yep. So I'm not going to lie. When I saw that you were uh, you had a parent company in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, he, got, he probably got a, a check for a few million dollars to make this happen. Well, and, and it, by the way, it, it wasn't... We all collectively wrote checks. Yeah. You know? and that's and the that, cool thing about the model that you right, wrote down earlier. Right. So I wasn't like, hey, guys can you all back me on this? It was, hey, back my vision. Yeah. But we're all in this together. Buy in. We're all in this together. And when I tell you, I called people that I would have never dreamt of calling for anything to borrow money. Yeah. You know, and, and, and how much do you need to raise? Uh, this was a, a multi-million dollar build. Yeah. Was your estimate accurate? Nope. No, we, we were about $1.5 million. <laughs> that's pretty short. good. Yeah. When, when you're talking multi-million, yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, usually people are like halfway there. And, and, and what I will tell you is that um, since then, we have put probably between 
AV upgrades and building upgrades, we put another million dollars back into the facility. Constantly in the, in the last five Start years. Start where you can and yeah. constantly improve. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a strong believer, Eric, that, um, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately uh, industry. And so if we sat here and this place looked like it did five years ago with no um, attention to detail and no, no upkeep, this place wouldn't be as popular. What do you mean by what, what have you done to, for me lately? Like, have you improved? Exactly. So right. like, have, who's have saying you, that? The guest? The guest. Yeah. Um, the competition. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the employee, right? Because if you work in a shitty bar that's, that's downtrodden and, and isn't kept up, you don't have you don't have pride in that facility, right? Yeah. And if you don't have pride in the facility, you don't have pride in the business. Yeah. And if you don't have pride in the business, how are you going to speak about it in, 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 in the light that you need to speak about that? So business? what was so when you got the space, you bring together the team, yep. and you're saying you're buying into my vision. Yep. What was your vision? So, <laughs> the other crazy thing, Eric, was that I convinced several people to move here with me wow. from New York, right? And so, I mean, you really had to twist their arm, huh? I mean, I'm, Anyone, like, who like, wants to come to Charleston and, and, yeah. and open a bar on King Street with me? They're like, sign me up, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it actually wasn't a tough sell. Um, it was really, really cool, you know, bringing, bringing my people down here with me. The vision, Eric, um, was a monster entertainment complex on Upper King Street to the likes that nobody had ever seen here with phenomenal food, but specifically pizza. Yeah. Why pizza? I'm a New York, New Jersey guy. I grew up in North Jersey, going to a place called Star Tavern. Star Tavern is an institution in North Jersey, owned by a guy named Gary. Um, Gary is uh, a Greek guy. His father opened opened the, the Star Tavern in Orange, New Jersey, which is kind of a, a downtrodden uh, uh, area of North Jersey. Um, and and Gary busted his butt um, with his dad to open what I consider to be the best pizzeria in the United States of America. Roberto's? Star Tavern. Star Tavern. So Star Tavern. I'm thinking of um, your uh, uh, Falco. Consult. Yeah, yeah. Right. He'll come so so um, I said, I want to bring that style bar pie to Charleston. So Danny Thomasis is as big of a pizza nerd as I am. Yeah. And Danny had oftentimes rented out um, all of DeFara's in, in Midwood, Brooklyn. And Danny had had these private pizza parties, and at one point he met a guy through a pizza party named Anthony Falco. And Danny is really excited at this point about our Charleston concept, but even more excited that we want to make pizza there. Right. And he puts us in touch with Falco. And so I tell Falco that I want... He, he had just left Roberta's, and I tell Falco that we want to replicate the Star Tavern style bar pie and bring that to Charleston. Can we do that? Or is the myth about the water being what it needs to be real and can we not replicate any pizza in the South? And he said, Keith, I will debunk that myth <laughs> right now and tell you that I can make any style pizza anywhere on the planet. And I intend to do that through my new job as an international pizza consultant. And I would love for you to be my first client um, and we could do this together in Charleston, South Carolina. Nice. I'm like, well, that sounds pretty darn cool. I think it's worth mentioning. He has since blown up and been blown very successful. Up. And you you helped make that happen. And I think that's another cool thing about just the ethos of what, what of your organization is there's no pride here. Yeah. You're willing to go, okay, we're not the best at this. So let's go find somebody who's better yeah. and swallow our pride and ask for help. 
like there's no shame in asking for help. That's the ethos. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. we've done, and we've since done that when we opened Bodega. We had no idea how to make a cup of coffee, believe it or not. Right. You know, and now we own a coffee. You were just there for for lunch, right? Yeah. We own a coffee shop. Got the breakfast sandwich for lunch, though. I'm a sucker for a breakfast right. sandwich. We have we have a traditional that you know, low country, yeah, that's, homemade sausage, yeah. pork sausage yeah. with ho- like gravy. Man, it's real deal. I wore it all over my face, but it was <laughs> worth great. it. I got a little on my sweatshirt it's, it's too. Great. It's great. It's great. Oh, good. But yeah, we we brought in a coffee consultant because what do I know about coffee, right? Yeah. So that that's totally that's totally our ethos, and that's what we've done, and that's what we're really proud of. I'm really, really good at throwing parties. I'm really good at it. Am I a traditional restaurant guy? Am I going to serve you from the left and not the right or the right? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't even know what that I means. Think a lot of that shit's pretentious, right? Anyway. Right. I mean, if it's right for your concept, perfect. Sure. But it's not going to. It's. I mean, it, it depends on what you're trying to be. Right. I don't think I'd ever open a place like that either. It's not me. It's know, not me, and it's not who we pretend. There's to no be. right way to do anything. Right. It's, it's just the way that's right for you. So we're, we're casual and approachable with with great food. Now great pizza at Uptown Social. We were making pizza with Falco in his Williamsburg apartment in New York City. It was so, in Brooklyn. It was so fucking cool. So there I am stretching fresh mats in Falco's two bedroom apartment while he's letting the uh, the, the 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 dough. Um, um, rest. Yeah. Um, it's like all shit that I've learned in the last five yeah. years, you know, six years. Proofing like, process. Yeah, proofing process. Gosh, I mean, I, I do know about this, Eric. Uh, totally drew a blank. But yes, <laughs> proofing, proofing process and watching the rest and, and, and stretchy mots. And like, that's how this thing originated. And we did a, a pop-up at Hair of the Dog with no pizza ovens. He brought in a pizza stone and Falco's like literally on his knees because there's like two little tiny ovens uh, at Hair of the Dog where, where, where he's baking off 100 pies at, at Hair of the Dog with us. Wow. And that was our first crack at making bar pies. Nice. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the rest is history. I mean, the pizza at Uptown Social, you had it the other night. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, good. It's New York, New Jersey quality pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now that I have my own pizza at my own restaurant in Charleston and my own Taylor ham, egg and cheese and bacon, egg and cheese, I'm like, Man, now I can die in peace. Yeah, like, you, you brought New York to Charleston. Yeah, You're totally, you, totally. You get the best of both worlds. Um, so, what what has the evolution been for you? Because I mean, or or up to this point, were there any like curveballs, any things that you didn't see coming that you wish you had the foresight that maybe you can provide that foresight to somebody else who might be trying to do something similar to what you? Yeah, we were done. vastly underprepared and vastly understaffed for the scope and scale. Of this operation here. I mean, are you ever fully prepared? I feel like um, we were better prepared when we opened Share House and Bodega. Um, but, you know, I took a formula that worked in New York City at a 2,500 square foot bar on the Lower East Side and tried my best to replicate that at a place four times the size. I mean, the kitchen alone downstairs is 1,200 square feet. Wow. Um, and I just didn't know how to staff it. I yeah. didn't know how to. St- I tried. Yeah. I tried to, but I had no clue. Um, and when we opened, Eric, we had eight bartenders, three partners, five servers, and six barbacks. Six to eight weeks later, we had twenty bartenders, <laughs> three partners, four managers. 12 servers and 14 barbacks. So practically doubled. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and it was, is it just the sheer, like, like overwhelming yeah, like, I mean, success? Yeah, I mean, we opened, the, here's, here's a funny story. We opened for friends and family here yeah. um, five years ago, exactly. We don't have friends and family in Charleston yeah. five Unless years you ago. you flew them out, right? Yeah, and a few yeah. people came down. Yeah. But, like, you could have 75 people in one of our bars in New York, and it looks relatively full. Yeah. You have 75 people at Uptown Social. There's four bars on two floors. Yeah. doesn't do anything. Yeah. You can't get people reps. Yeah. The other thing that we did in New York when we would open places is we would send people to our other bars to train yep. to get that kind of experience with our POS systems, our other systems, our culture. processes, our culture, yeah. um, and get get thrown into the weeds on a busy night. Here, we didn't have that. Yeah. So it's our first friends and family night, Thursday, April 3rd, 2018, and we're like, shit, we're not getting the reps. Yeah. We have no idea how to get the reps. Let's just open the door and see what happens. And well, that's an approach a lot of people take. I like that approach of not promoting your opening, but just opening the door and letting people kind of slowly trickle in. Yep. And word of mouth, eventually, it's a, it's a smooth, steady acceleration. But was that not the case here? So what I had done and, and made a priority, we had talked about the lack of social media when we opened Hair of the Dog. Well, now it's 2018, and everybody has Instagram. Yeah. And Kara Graves and I, Kara is my business partner who currently runs Uptown Social. Um Really cool story about Kara. Kara's dad was an NYPD warrant squad detective in New York City. He had 33 years. He just retired. Kara's dad was my regular at... I talked about regulars and building business. Kara's dad was my regular at the Stumble Inn when I started bartending in 2008. Kara's dad and all of his... uh, All the guys in, in, in his squad would come in after work and have burgers and beers and whatever. Anyway, Kara's dad... Four years into him coming in says, my daughter just graduated college. She's working in marketing. She bartends part-time in Mont- Montauk. I mean, real New York guys from City Island, the Bronx. And he says, can you give my daughter a look? And I say to myself, fuck. <laughs> These guys are my guys. Like, yeah, you got to make it. You got guys, right? Yeah. You, got, you got NYPD warrant squad guys, like the toughest of the tough dudes, right? But they're all my boys now. I'm playing golf with them. Like, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going out for beers. We're going to Carmine's for, for big Italian dinners and like... I'm thinking to myself, if I, if I don't hire this girl, I'm an asshole. If I hire her and then I have, have to fire her at some point, yeah. I'm even a bigger asshole. So I right. need to figure out a way to get out of this. Anyway, I interview her and I hire her within 10 seconds. Six months later, Kara opens Hair of, the, uh, Hair of the Dog with me. And five years after that, Kara moves to Charleston with me as a partner. Nice. Five years later, Kara is the managing partner of, uh, of Uptown Social and our director of marketing. Yeah. That- so, so Kara and I decided very early on that we needed social media to be the engine that would get people into Uptown Social. Um, very funny. We can point to her right now, but she, she's, she's taking it. Oh, yeah, she, I'm literally were, just talking about you right now. As you were talking about, she was standing over there yeah. taking photos. Yeah, I was like, yeah. who's this lady? Right. That's Kara right there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so, um, so Kara and I made it a priority of ours to let the social media tell our story, right? And so... Right from, from, from the minute we signed the lease, we started an Uptown Social social media account. And also part of the process when we named Uptown Social, Uptown Social is what can we do with the brand, right? You know, at this point, everybody's doing all this. Social r- as fuck is what you Social do as fuck, right? So we have these social AF shirts that we, <laughs> yeah. that we came out with as our first ever shirt. And the funniest thing was that my dad would wear his social AF shirt in his nursing home when he was diagnosed with ALS and all of the, like the, the, the <laughs> nurses and aides would be like, 
Bob, that is the coolest shirt. We need one. And he called me one day and he said, Keith, I need 10 social AF shirts, but I have a question for you. What does that mean? My dad was 70 at the time. So dad, social as fuck. And he goes, oh my God, that's awesome. That is awesome. So um, yeah, so Kara and I decide that we we need to come up with a name that's going to be easy for us to market. And then once we come up with a name, Uptown Social, let's figure out how to tell the story before Uptown Social even opens. What makes Uptown Social easy to market? How do you make a brand that's easy to market? So, um, first of all, you need to spend countless hours, days, months building out what it means, right? And what you can do with the the tongue-in-cheek. So, when we built this place out, we said, okay, Social AF, right? That's fun. That's tongue-in-cheek. People want to wear that on a t-shirt, right? Hmm. We have this wall on the roof, what do we want to do with a wall on the roof, right? We say, this This we just yep. built, like this wall right here we built uh, about three or four months ago. The wall across from us existed. It was a big gray slab. Yeah. And we said, well, cool. Uh, and it just came to us one day. Let's put a social butterfly up there. Yep. That works. Okay, great. Then we have a huge staircase. Let's throw social climbers so up on that, on that staircase, on the staircase, and make a t-shirt that says social climbing. Uptown, Billy Joel. Uptown. Girl. Okay, let's put a T-shirt that make a T-shirt that says Uptown Girls. And and so you're just having fun, and we're just having fun with yeah. it, right? We're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're not that type of brand. You're thinking about what you want to do, and you reverse engineer it with a name. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we've done. You know, share house, sharing is caring. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, house party, uh, things along those lines, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what we will do forever. Now, everything needs to give us creative ability to just do whatever we want with the name of the yeah. spot, right? Is your is your approach to marketing then the same now? It has grown times a million. How has it evolved? What are the, the biggest evolutions in your approach to marketing that have had the biggest impact in actually driving people in? So I think you talked about uh, someone in Austin who has used their brand as a marketing engine. Yeah. We look at ourselves. We look at Uptown Hospitality Group as a marketing agency that uses our bars and restaurants as our engine to get people in the door, right? And so here we are, you walked in today, you saw a merch rack. That's the first thing you see when yeah. you walk in. The merch rack doesn't have one t-shirt or one hat. It has three different sweatshirts, seven different t-shirts, and six different hats. I mean, I have to say it works because I bought a sweatshirt when I was at Bottega. Awesome. Great. And that's <laughs> and that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. And so the first thing you see when you walk in the door is merch, right? Yeah. We're a tourist town. What do people want to do? They, they, walk, souvenir. They, they want a souvenir. Yeah. Every single town I go to, I grab a t-shirt or a hoodie or a hat. Me, me too. My wife has told me that I need to trade in every hat I bring home. I need to throw a hat out. I have a whole closet full of t-shirts and hats. It's awesome. <laughs> it's right? so much fun. I yet, love it. yet, it's my souvenir I, closet. You wear your restaurant unstoppable hat and I wear my yeah. share house hat. Well, it's going to be on brand. Right, right, right. <laughs> so um, yeah, the merch is the first thing you see. Yeah. Previous to that, we had like a merch display, but we're 10,000 square feet. Who's going to yeah. see that, right? Yeah. So the merch is, is a huge part of what we do. Um, walking around and looking at all kind of the, 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 the decor on our walls. If you see that, that P 
piece when you walk past uh, the merch, you see what we call um, our VIP area because it's just this little elevated area where folks can hang out on the weekends um, where we'll do like private service up there. We have, I think, 30 blown up high, high res pictures up there. And it's like it's like that the, the diner that we used to go to when we were kids and you see your face on the wall, right? Eating a cheeseburger or like a, a plate of eggs or whatever, right? And it gives that local feel. That's what we've done with that wall. And so people come in and they take pictures of the pictures. Yeah. It's really neat. That's cool. And then you walk toward the bathrooms and you see like six or seven archived events that we have framed on the wall. I kind of want to go deeper into the events. Like, What's that process of establishing and setting up an event, the step-by-step? Like, sure. Like, what, how do you guys approach that? Yeah, so we... Um, I talk about Kara and I running our social media you know, starting six years ago, a year before we even opened Uptown Social. Eric, we now have a meeting weekly with our social media marketing team, which is 12 people sitting at that wow. table. Um, well, and, and also super badass that you opened with a marketing person on on staff. Yeah, like it is like to have a partner. Yeah, whose job, whose lane it is, is marketing. Yeah, awesome. Does she invest just like everybody else? Yeah, Kara. Kara is a, is a majority partner partner here in Charleston. She now has skin in the game in New York as well, and she and I are are doing much of the um, much of the brand overhaul and marketing refresh in our New York locations. Nice. Um, and it's been really fun for us to go up there and, and have a huge part of what we're doing in terms of changing the game up there because in New York, we just kind of rested on our laurels and doing it the same way for you know, 25, 30 years. And we weren't quite up to snuff on the social media marketing game up there. And we've had to really kind of specifically mid to post pandemic reinvent ourselves. Right. And Kara and I from 755 miles away have been at the helm and it's been really fun for us to do that with our partners up nice. there. Um, but it's a full-time job for us. Um, you know, my job now, you know, when I, when we opened Uptown Social, my job was, was, you know, the founder, the operator, the guy who was working the door on the busy nights, ordering the beer, handling the scheduling, dealing with the hiring and the firing and working hand in hand with Kara on brand expansion, brand enhancement and everything that we were doing from a social media and marketing and event programming perspective. Right. I mean, sorry, do you have more? Yeah, um, going, man. How that? How how that? You're making my job easier. How that event? um, How that event piece has 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 expanded. We now have a girl named Danny who handles all of our event, all of our in-house event programming. Now that's not to be confused with our private events, which we have an event team who handles weddings and uh, rehearsal dinners and uh, corporate events. That's totally separate. This is in-house events. So to put in perspective and give you an example, we have an event called the Spring Fling coming up. The Spring Fling is taking taking place outside of Share House and Bodega. We did something similar in the fall called Oktoberfest. We partnered with Boston Beer, um, who... um, who, who, who sponsored that event for us and it was just an unbelievable event in which we, we pulled a permit for that big straightaway outside Bodega and we had approximately 1,000 to 1,500 people come through throughout the day with live music and DJs and it was awesome. We have since partnered with a group called The Drifter which is the, the best event production team in I would say the state of South Carolina if not Charleston. Okay. But, but, but it was Certainly, Charleston, if not the state, yeah. they are handling a twenty-five thousand dollar production budget for us for Spring Fling, in which we are ha- we are uh, programming with Midnight City, who's the best uh, cover band I've ever seen, who just happens to be based here nice. in in Charleston. Um, uh, DJ Sparkbox and uh, Andrew Paul, who plays the trumpet to the D- DJ music, which oh, is cool. really really cool. And so we'll go DJ. 
uh, trumpet into live band with um, one, two, three, five points of service in terms of bar service, and then the drifter also handles the catering, and so they're gonna they're gonna set up a street fair for us where we fully brand it out with hot dogs and street tacos and um, a, a sweets uh, station and set it up so that it's a, a, a street fair meets uh, music festival. Um, this, is, this hasn't happened. This yet. hasn't happened. This, this happened, happened on spring. May seventh. Nice, nice. right yeah, but corner. this is this is a this is a a, 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 a massive event for us, um, and we have events of all different scales. Kara just hosted a women's women's crush Wednesday where we raised money for um, a local women based charity. Was Randy a part of that? Randy was not. <laughs> oh, really? And, and, and Randy, you know, Randy has all of her own stuff that's going on. <laughs> and Fab Fab is about to take place, um, and we're we're a big sponsor of yeah. Fab, but. Kara has been to many fab events, um, but we had um, several entrepreneurs and, and women, uh, female business owners here in Charleston, yeah. and then we donated, um, you know, a, a good chunk of change yeah. To, yeah. To, to that. And so, a little shout out to Randy Weinstein, um, awesome woman. My first interview when we came to Charleston, yeah, and uh, she's she's the she was the director of. Something I can't the remember. Wine and Food Festival. But yeah, but yeah. there was a specific title. I can't remember. She was what she, she was, was the director, director of. of events. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the Wine and Food Festival, Charleston yep. Wine and Food Festival. So she knows Charleston so well, and yeah. she's been so generous uh, with her network, helping us find you, connect sure. with you, uh, Keith. So uh, just thank you, Randy, for your generosity. Randy's Randy's become a dear friend. Um, Randy's one of the first people I ever met here in Charleston. And one thing that I will, you know, you, you've talked about the best way to to advise people how to blaze this this trail, right? When I moved to Charleston, Eric, I spent um, five months here before we even opened our doors. And my only job, and I spent 10, 12 hours a day meeting everybody I could meet. Everybody. What was your strategy behind that? Eat a piece of humble pie. Don't talk about New York. Talk about whatever that person wants to talk about and just learn. Just First learn. seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Exactly. Just, just, so what happens when you're doing that? So I'm blindly reaching out to people via email or text saying, hey, my name is Keith. You may or may not have heard we're opening a new restaurant bar on King Street. And I would humbly like to catch your ear and ask advice as to how to best do business in Charleston and best navigate the waters. Did you meet Mickey? I met Mickey. Yeah. I met Mickey. Mickey was one of the several... I probably met a hundred people over. Was he five still months. at the, uh, Char- the Charleston uh, Grill at yep. this point? Yeah. Yep, I met that Mickey. That guy's a badass. And Mickey, Mickey talked about sobriety. I'm sure, right? Yep. When, when yep. you guys spoke, Mickey came to us. Uh, well, first of all, Mickey. My first experience with Mickey was a partner dinner at the Charleston Grill, and Mickey and we sat at Mickey's. Um, we sat at a table, and Mickey not only doubled as the. Um, the concierge, the GM, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the host, yeah. um, but also the psalm. Yeah. When was the last time Mickey had a drink? I, I can't remember. You know, I almost asked him if yeah. he drinks wine. If he does he, not. T- if he tastes it. Nope. To be a psalm and not know what you're tasting, so Mickey, just to commit that all to memory. Unbelievable. I, I, oh, I meant to ask him. You reminded me now because I was curious. I don't, think he, I don't think he drinks and spits. I don't think he does that. Um, I, I don't want to speak for Mickey, but... Mickey talked about wine that night in a way that most Psalms I've ever spoken to doesn't speak about, don't speak about yeah. wine. And he made me want to like love wine. Right. Right. I'm not a wine guy. You know, I like to drink it, but yeah. I would never pretend to be a wine guy. Yeah. And I walked out of there being like, 
first of all, I want to know more about that guy. Yeah. Second of all, I want to know more about wine. I mean, right. that guy, the, the way Mickey, anyway, Mickey, Mickey is, Mickey is known as the godfather of Charleston hospitality. Yeah. So back to Randy. Randy, Randy was one also of the. Also the mayor of Charleston. He's got a lot of nicknames. He does. <laughs> um, and he looks out for the people who are, who are facing. And that's why he's got so many nicknames because yeah. he cares a lot yep. about yep. this town. Anyway. And, and so Randy, uh, Randy is one of the first people I met, and Randy has has helped me navigate Charleston in a remarkable way. But also, one thing that I want to give Randy a shout out is that she gave me a seat at her Passover table when I moved to Charleston, and um, it's a special thing. I, I grew up in a Jewish home. I grew up celebrating Passover, and I moved to a town, and I was bar mitzvah, and I, and, and 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 I don't go to synagogue still. It's it's not something that um, I'm 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 overly. Um, uh, committed to from a religious standpoint, but from a cultural and traditional standpoint, Judaism will always be a part of my life and my children's life. My wife's Catholic, and we just want to bring it all all together. Yeah. Um, but Randy gave me a seat at her Passover table, and um, and and it has invited me every year since with the with the pandemic as the one uh, yeah. as as the one. And that's one pause. That's definitely one underlying factor of my time spent here in Charleston is. Uh, you know, I, it seems like the the community really started to come together around the time that Mickey came to Charleston. I think it was sure. 2014 ish, or, yeah. or maybe sooner than that. I can't Mickey's remember. Mickey's been here many, 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 many more years. Maybe it was yes. earlier 2000s. But just this idea of just camaraderie and coming together and supporting one another and doing what you did. If you're if you're new to a city, if you're if you're the newcomer. Don't be a shy. Don't no. be. Don't don't shy away from the other owners in that community. Embrace them, and all you can do is that they hope, in hope is that they reciprocate. But they absolutely won't if you don't make if you don't extend the olive branch first, right? And and I've paid it forward. I yeah. mean, I've had all I had all of these people open these doors for me, and yeah. I have since paid it forward in every possible way. And and it's um, this is a remarkable, remarkable community. The industry in itself is is always that way. Yeah. But I think some towns and cities are different yeah. than others. Charleston is a special place, and and I've since joined. Um, I sit on two boards now, Eric. One is the Low Country Hospitality Association, um, in which it's six hoteliers and six restaurant owners, and we just talk about the issues that that um, frankly are, are challenges to yeah. the industry. And I want to talk about that before we wrap up today's conversation because sure. I do like to end there. With sure. What are the challenges? How are you overcoming those yeah. challenges? How are you moving into the future? One thing I'm curious about is you know post pandemic. I don't like talking about the pandemic because sure. it's the same story. Yeah. You know it was horrible. You had to pivot. You had to adapt. But what I am curious about is how have you evolved since the pandemic? Sure. What stuck? How are you different and better today? Yeah. Like what does the business look like today post pandemic? Uh, so, so I want to touch on one more Please. thing, and then I'm going to get to that. But um, I also sit on the Charleston Wine and Food Board, okay. and and I was asked to join that last summer. And uh, I said to my wife, I don't want to do it. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I'm already on the LHA board. I now own and operate three restaurants in Charleston. We want to continue to grow. We have one kid and another one on the way. And I just, I don't know, Stevie. My, my, my wife's name Stevie. And she said, Keith. Do you love Charleston? I said, yeah. She said, do you love the industry you work in? I said, yeah. She goes, do you love the Wine and Food Festival? I said, yeah. She goes, join the board. (laughs) I said, okay. And since I've joined the board, I've had a meaningful impact in a way that I never would have been able to before. And it's a phenomenal festival. Randy, I'm sure, spoke about it. I'm sure it just just, concluded... Um, and I'm so honored to be a part of it and, and contribute in a way that you can't contribute if you're if you, if you don't have your hands in the festival. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that. I'm sure it's led to opportunities. It, yeah, and and beyond that, it's just once again giving back. Yeah, giving back. So, um, 
that 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 post pandemic world, Eric. Um, Charleston was was a bizarre um, beneficiary of the pandemic. A lot of people came here. What I mean yeah. by that is that, regardless of politics, the governor of the state of South Carolina opened restaurants on, I believe, May fourth, two thousand twenty, for out, outdoor dining. It was only a week later that he opened restaurants to 50% dining inside. And only shortly after that, that he opened restaurants fully and advised folks to keep their social distancing, right? I'm not here to judge what people did during the pandemic. All I can say is that we were given the opportunity to operate and operate at relative full capacity, right? We, we have outdoor space. The city of Charleston also gave us the ability to secure more outdoor space in our parking lot. So we opened a 92-seat cafe during the pandemic, wow. which no longer exists because of zoning and post-pandemic yeah. stuff. But So now we have 92 more seats, outdoor dining, rooftop, and call it by June 1st, 2020, Charleston was booming. It was the state of South Carolina, the state of Florida, and not many more places that were given the opportunity to operate. Yeah. And what it did for us, Eric, is it gave us the confidence to sign another lease. And so enter Sharehouse Bodega. We signed another lease for just under 9,000 square feet and decided to open another um, bar restaurant, Sharehouse, which is a coastal cantina, much different menu than, than Uptown Social. But we blew out the entire side of the building. We put in these beautiful garage doors. You just saw the building, but the building split up by the kitchen. Yep. And we said, we don't want to do share house kind of chopped up with two parts and then a kitchen and then a third room. So we said, what is Charleston missing? It's missing breakfast sandwiches. You know, tons of biscuits, yep. uh, tons of grits. But where's that round roll New York style breakfast sandwich? Yeah. Enter Bodega. So we popped up Bodega out of Uptown Social during the pandemic and teased it. And this is where that marketing component comes in. And that's in. one thing I wanted to touch on. I had it written down, this idea of, of popping up a concept before committing to it. Sure. And testing, testing a proof of concept. Yep. What, take us through that process. Why Not everyone you, can do it. Um, what, do you know, have to, what do you have to do to do it? You, uh, you, have, to, um, you have to work really, really hard um, because you don't have your own kitchen. You don't have your own commissary. You don't have your own prep space. You don't have storage. You don't have anything that you need. Pop-ups are incredibly hard work. And then what you need to do is you need to ask somebody else to give them your kitchen for the most part, right? Yeah. For us, it was, okay, we have a 10,000 square foot restaurant, sports bar, that isn't really being used to its max potential with lots of folks that don't feel comfortable dining inside right now. Yeah. So let's roll the dice and use our kitchen for a breakfast and lunch concept three days a week during the pandemic. Because you're not open during the morning. We're not open yeah. during the morning. So, so we have this this 1,200 square foot kitchen that's just sitting there empty, right? Yeah. Plus, at the same time, Eric, we wanted to put people to work, Yeah. right? So I have all these cooks that can't get enough shifts because we're not quite back yet. Um, and But we could teach them how to make this breakfast food and, 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 and lean into that. And now we can create more work. Yeah. And, uh, it took off. We were selling, you know, 300 to 400 sandwiches a day during the pop-up, during the pop-up wow. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday proof of concept. How did you promote it? Instagram. 
And so um, you just bought a Bodega sweatshirt. Yeah. That logo is so sweet, isn't it's it? A, it's a gnarly logo. It's a man. gnarly logo. Yeah, I like the colors, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it pulled me in. I was yeah. like, I want and that. So, um, I mean, I spent 60 bucks for it. I wanted that. Bad. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. I, yeah. but that's that's yeah. people will pay that because, yeah. A, we, you know, the cost to us that's a great quality sweatshirt with a, with a seven color that matters print. to me yeah with a seven color print I mean it costs us a ton of money to, to, these shirts aren't cheap either you know like it, yeah it's like the, the fashion shirt right yeah well the the point you're trying to make is don't buy shit right you know people will spend the extra $15 yeah. to get a quality product they're actually gonna wear right right and just get in like this is garbage material and I don't want it to look like a bar tee right yeah. or a bar sweatshirt yeah. I want it to look like a, like they bought it at a, at a, at a American Apparel or yeah. a J. Crew or whatever you right. know um, so, so the the bodega logo is killer. We now use three graphic designers, and we just put one on salary full time. Wow! My very close friend Sam Griffin has handled the branding for uh, Bodega Sharehouse. Just did a rebrand for Uptown Social. He did the branding for Downtown Social, and he rebranded every single one of our bars in New York as of late. Um, Sam handled the bodega branding, and it speaks for itself. We launched an Instagram launched an Instagram. We piggybacked it off of our successful Uptown Social Instagram. How do you how do you piggyback an account? What does that look like? So at this point at Uptown, uh, mid-pandemic, we probably had 12, 13, 14,000 followers. Yeah. Um, you got a captive audience, right? So you literally just embed the brand right into the Yeah. Uptown. We say, oh, you love Uptown? You love the food at Uptown? You love the people at Uptown? You love the party at Uptown? Hey, by the people behind Uptown Social, yeah. we now have Bodega. Yeah. Look how cool this is, right? And then what we did alongside of the branding and the logo is we made these sandwiches Instagrammable, mm. right? And so when you got your sandwich today, you got it with branded wrap, yep. right? You go to a New York-style bodega, it always comes wrapped. Now, it doesn't come wrapped in a branded paper because there's, they're just corner stores selling toilet yeah. paper, tampons, and breakfast sandwiches, Right. You go to our bodega and you're getting coffee in a really sweet cup that has, you know, a map and branding all over it of Charleston and our spots, landmarks. Um, and then you get your sandwich wrapped. And when you open that sandwich, I mean, we've all seen it, whether it's my sandwich shop or. Oh, we did it. We you did, did it today, did it. right? We did it. You, you crack it open and you <laughs> yeah. go, holy shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Right? You snap the picture, you tag bodega. You're doing the work for us, Eric. So you're creating a path of least resistance to sharing. Correct. How can we make this something that's so easy to share? Right. And what we did right off the rip was we started taking pictures of our sandwiches all over Charleston. Mm. So we would go to the pineapple fountain. We would go to the battery. We would go to... You got to answer something for me. Yeah. Did the pineapple logo for hospitality start in Charleston? I can't answer that question. I don't know. I've been seeing pineapples everywhere, yeah, and yeah. I know it's a southern thing. Yeah. So I was like, did it start here? Like, little subtle, like, and I don't know. We're walking I don't around because I'm seeing it, pineapples. But, I mean, it's a great question. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. I know it started in the south, and it has something to do with, like, communicating that you're open. It's a business. part of our low country yeah. hospitality yeah. logo, but I've never even yeah. thought to ask It's a that part though. of my logo. Yeah. You can't see it right here. Yeah. It's on my back. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yep. Uh, it's not on your hat. That's the, yep, there you go. Yep, I got it. I got it. Oh, it's right here. That's what I'm talking about. Sweet. Yep. I love it. Yep. I love but it. Anyway, I, di- I digress. Yeah. So um, so now we have the cool the cool bodega logo. We have the sandwiches that we're taking pictures of everywhere. And then people just start coming up town social and taking pictures, doing the work for us. Right? Yep. And then it becomes 
what we like to say viral yeah, right man. i'm looking at the time dude we're already in an hour and 40 minutes of recording awesome. time. this has been it so much fun so fast yeah. man one thing I, I do want to talk about uh before we wrap up and it's uh, along this idea of, of partnerships right yep. we had the, the the pleasure of meeting your your manager downstairs the guy with basketballs with shoulders yeah. you know what i'm talking about <laughs> Brett, Brett Brett, Wilson, yeah, yeah he's he's an awesome guy sure partner he started as a bouncer yep he went from bouncer to bar back bartender six months partner manager partner manager yeah. partner yeah sounds kind of familiar yeah yeah it's pretty awesome right right yeah so um when i started with the company i was given the opportunity when i came down here to charleston we had uh three partners with us um we now have uh 13 of us in charleston wow. 13 of us i'm the oldest partner in charleston i'm 40 years old our youngest partner is brett who's 24 or 25 yeah. um it's it's an unbelievable culture. It's an unbelievable group of people we have here, Eric. And um, I truly believe in the mantra, uh, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Yeah. And so these folks, they work really hard. They bust their butts. They see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that they're not working for me. They're not working for Kara. They're not working for Mitch or Michael. They're, they're, they're understanding that they can earn their own living and earn their way to being a part of this partnership. And then they invest, right? And then they see, well, Keith came to Charleston. He did it his way. Well, maybe if I get on an airplane to Tampa or Nashville or Austin and do what Keith did, I can create that opportunity for myself. And I already have some of these junior partners doing that. Yeah. Um, they also work their tails off. And they, they do it because they genuinely care, but they do it because they're making money, right? Yeah, and you give them an and, opportunity. And we give them an opportunity. Yeah. Um, but once they become a partner, I have a talk and I say, congratulations, give me your Give me all your money. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, But most importantly, Brett, or someone like Brett, it's time to take it up a notch. You yeah. got here because of how hard you've worked. But now, to whom much is given, much is expected. And granted, you're investing your money, but I expect more of you now. Yeah. And I expect you to take it to the next level. And, and they all perform. And, yeah. and, and, and we've, had a, we've had a track record here that's just been... Um, that I'm tremendously proud of. I just wanted to highlight that full circle. Sure. And, you know, that's how you got in. Somebody took a chance on you and uh, you're paying it forward, man. And I love that business model. And I, I think you, you definitely, there's a mindset of abundance here that's obvious that there's the, the, the more we come together, the, the better, the further we can go. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really special. Sure. I want to make an example of that. I appreciate that. Um, before we wrap up, I think you, you started talking about the, the, the things you guys talk about during this this uh, board that you're on, where you yeah. get together, you talk about the future, yeah. where the city is, where you're going. Sure. Like, where where are we going? The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the sure. industry. Definitely inspired us with your story, empowered us with your knowledge. Uh, around this note of transformation, how do we move into the future better? Is that a part of the, the conversation? Yeah, it, it is. And we talk about it all the time. I mean, at the end of the day, Eric, whether you're 10,000 square feet or you're uh, Hotel Bennett on, on King Street, which is a massive, uh, uh, gorgeous hotel, we're all small businesses. Yeah. We just are. And we have limited resources. Um, you know, certainly the Hyatt or Marriott or, you know, you know, Coolahans or whatever. I mean, th- those guys have yeah. unlimited resources, it seems, with tremendous amount of capital but we're all out of pocket we're mom and pop we really are yeah and so when that happens that way um there's there's obstacles that we have to deal with and um we need to make sure that that we're we're sensitive to what our costs are sensitive to what the supply chain issues are sensitive to what um uh the staffing shortages look like 
um, and just overly sensitive to managing our books, right? And whether, you know, the reason I'm here, Eric in Charleston, South Carolina, is because we're given more opportunities to do business the way we need to do them versus a state like New York or a city like New York City. There's just more regulation. Your hands are tied. Um, and, uh, and it's, and it's, and it's more difficult to, to, to earn a living, right? This is a pro small business state. It is. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's given us the opportunity to have success here and given us a reason to want to grow more. And, you know, we, we started with Uptown Social. We now have three concepts. We're about to open another bodega. Um, you know, we have other irons in the fire, but it's going to be, it's going to be down south. So these conversations you're having when you get together with these other business owners sure. and you're sharing, what is it? Are you guys sharing knowledge? Are you talking about, are you doing open book? Are you sharing? Numbers? Yeah, we're, 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 sh- we're sharing um, challenges that we're facing mostly. I mean, the staffing shortage just everywhere is, is, is taking the cake. Um, you know, there's liquor liability laws that are yeah. on the books that are um, antiquated. Um, so this gives us access through um, different relationships with, uh, different lobbying groups and, and, and local and state politicians to have discussions, meaningful discussions in which we can create change. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, What's the change you're lobbying for? Uh, you know, so, so honestly, it's really difficult to get insurance now. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you've heard that from a lot of folks. Yeah. And so um, we're just looking for more help from the state. We're looking for, um, you know, there's dram shop laws that are a big concern where, I don't know if you're familiar with dram shop, but if you, let's say you so have... You got have a drink at your place, and I get in a car. Accident if you have a drink hood. at noon, yeah. at Uptown Social, and then you um, you have a, 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 a beer at Uptown Social and French fries, and then you get in a car accident at midnight, yeah, Uptown Social's on the hook, yeah, Uptown Social's on the hook. So it's a law that goes back probably a hundred years um, that you know people just don't look at unless you push them to look at it, right? Right. Have you seen House of Cards? Yes, a while ago. Same, yeah. but. Oftentimes, I feel like a whip, right? I'm like, I'm going to talk to people about governmental issues instead of like managing my door on a Friday night, right? right? And my, my role, both with the Low Country Hospitality Association and, and, and um, the Wine and Food Festival is creating these meaningful relationships with folks that can make a difference. And I will tell you that uh, there's a, a group in Charleston uh, called Explore Charleston. I'm, maybe you've heard about it, maybe you haven't, but it's run by the only executive director that it has ever had, uh, a woman by the name of Helen Hill. And Helen uh, is the most um, pro-tourism, pro-small business, pro-local Charleston person you will ever find on this planet. Helen is best friends with the governor, whoever the governor might be. <laughs> Helen is best friends with the local government. So you Mickey, right? Uh, same, <laughs> same. They, they run in the same yeah, circles. Yeah. But Helen is the best advocate for this industry um, I could ever imagine. Yeah. And she's become a dear friend and a mentor and yeah. really speaks to this industry as if it's the lifeblood of this town, which it is. Yeah. And and to, to, to work with her, the LHA board falls under Explore Charleston. And to work with Helen and her team to better the Charleston restaurant community is uh, an opportunity that I, I will I will 
not take lightly. Yeah. So the mission statement, echo it one more time to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, behind every great restaurant, it's great people. So how have you personally transformed over time? Who is Keith today versus Keith getting started in this industry? Yeah, Keith getting started was a was a post college uh, barback who was grinding to earn a buck, right? Yeah. Um, and give myself opportunity to take that next step, whatever that next step is. Keith in 2023 is a patient, well-rested at times. And I say that because I was working nights and weekends, and now I, I primarily work days, and people like Brett and Kara yeah. and, and the other folks handle the weekends, thank goodness, because I just couldn't do it all. Yeah. Um, so well-rested in that respect. Having two kids under two doesn't yeah. give me too much sleep, but uh, more patient, more understanding, and a better listener. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, I was pretty... I was pretty arrogant um, in every way um, and cocky in my 20s. Um, I was, I think, arrogant in my and confident in my approach to opening in Charleston. This is the way we're going to do it. And then I got my teeth kicked in because, you know, I didn't staff correctly and it was really a a tremendous lesson learned. Um, And now I've surrounded myself with my partners and people that are so unbelievably well qualified to be in the seats that they're in that they teach me every day yeah. right and so i'm not only listening to the people around me but you know there there's there's something that that you ask kind of what um what's your favorite book what do you like to read right what inspires you yeah it's gonna be coming i'm not a reader believe it or not yeah i don't read um, and I, 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 I never have. I don't have the patience for it. I'm an ADHD guy. I always have been. And I'll read two pages and I want to go to page 300 and see what <laughs> yeah, happens. What happens then? So, right. I don't have, so, I, so I watch movies and I spend an ungodly amount of time um, reading news articles and on social media yeah. uh, more than my wife would like. Um, but I get my, my, my inspo um, from looking at what other operators and other um, concepts are doing around the country and around the world. And everything that I do is with the mindset of how can I bring this into my space? You're going to start listening to Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, well, man? That's what it's I, all about. I, I will be a listener. Now. No reading required. You've got, you've, got, <laughs> you've got me committed. But that's, that's just the truth. And so you know, whether it's me or Kara or any one of our partners, we call it vacay inspo. Right, yeah. and we make fun of each other, right? Yeah. And I say, you know, let's not spam each other through our our vacation, right? Yeah, make a note, take pictures, and let's see how we can then fold that into what we're doing. But you know, I'll tell you that um, uh, we went to a bar in Chicago um, called Paradise Park. Yeah, really cool bar. Uh, I believe I think it's in Wicker Park, and Kara um, and I uh, immediately started following their Instagram, and they do something called Arts and Crafts. So they have crafts of wine and whatever yeah. it might be. And we're like, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's in Chicago. We're bringing that to Charleston. Yeah. You know? And that's just like one example of something. Getting inspiration. Getting inspiration. And, and if you had a Bloody Mary at, uh, at Bodega, we have these really cool 16-ounce um, beer glasses um, shaped like a beer can. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I saw one of those tagged at a bar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And within a week, I had a mock-up of that same glass for the Bodega Bloody, yeah. designed by my buddy, my buddy Sam, and um, partnered with Deep Eddie Vodka. And now we have those Bodega Bloody glasses, yeah. and people buy them from us. Yeah. I mean, it's I just, mean, I would love, I would love to get you back on the show, man. Um, cool, man. Yeah, because this was a lot of fun. I think you have a lot of little lessons around collaboration and partnering sure. that I'd love to learn more about. And yeah. I wasn't able to get that today. Uh, we have to go to the speed round to respect your time. This has been a lot of fun. We'll be right back after thanking our sponsors. 
This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals in videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with One Huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on One Huddle versus traditional micro learning and video-based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker too because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to One Huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro if you've become interested i highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash R S. 
RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Tenacity. What is your biggest weakness? Patience. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you grow on your team? Well-rounded. Is this person well-rounded? What is your biggest challenge today? Staffing. How are you overcoming it? Creativity. Uh, you know, constantly pushing our team to um, hire people that are green and, and molding them into what we need them to be. I love it. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Professionalism. I mean, this is this is oftentimes confused as a playground. You know, the restaurant industry can can pull you in a lot of different directions, and especially with nightlife. And I always tell people this is a job. Treat it as a job. Yeah. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service? Way to go above and beyond guest expectation. We love to push the buyback harder than anybody in our industry, and we're in a tourism town, and oftentimes that's frowned upon by. an operator right because you say we have this audience that's here to spend money the buyback so buying somebody a drink or an appetizer or a dessert and saying hey thanks for coming in Friday night why don't you come back Saturday morning to Bodega or come Saturday night to Share House or Sunday for Sunday Fun Day back in Uptown Social the buyback yeah I love it Uh, what is this is where I would ask about the book you already answered that question so we'll skip it what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough um, I don't think that restaurateurs look around enough, right? And I think that that's what's given us um, the creative ingenuity that we have. I'm always, like I just said, I'm always on Instagram. I'm always looking at TikTok through Kara and the girls. I'm not too savvy with it right now. Um, and I just have my eye on everybody else, uh, whether it's in Charleston or, or New York or L.A. or what have you. I mean, I was in L.A., not to digress, but I was in L.A. My brother lives in Sherman Oaks, California. And um, I showed him, you know, a couple pictures of this spot um, here in, in, in Charleston that I love. And he said, well, there's a place just like it here in L.A. And I want to take you. And I took a few pictures. Nice, nice. I'm always looking for that. Uh, what is this is uh, actually I'm really curious about this question because you just came back from the bar expo. And mm-hmm. I was curious about that. Um, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted in the four walls of your business uh, that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? And did you discover anything new? Over this past week. I'm going to give you two pieces of technology. One is a company that we have partnered with called BeatGig. Okay. Um, we book um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of acts. And when I say acts, I mean bands and DJs throughout the course of a year between Sharehouse, Bodega, and Uptown Social. And I got to the point where I couldn't do it myself or source the entertainment. BeatGig yep. does that for us. So you go on to BeatGig, you enter... Uh, Country band, three hours, Saturday night, 9 to 12, April 25th. economy. And it pumps out five different bands, and then you hit confirm, and it takes your money right after the show. It pulls the money out on an ACH payment, and it's absolutely brilliant. And the guy, Connor Feroce, is one of the founders. He's become a good friend, and they're doing good work. The other one's a company called Line Leap, which is awesome. Uh, because we have really long lines at our bars, and um, it's a platform to skip the line, right? You don't yeah. want to wait online. You pay Line Leap. Line Leap takes a small cut. Yeah. We take the rest. It's all done via app. Yeah. You show the pass to the doorman and the manager at the door. You cut the line, and you walk right in. Nice. It's That's awesome. Cool. Um, and that, then, that one I'm interested in following it's, up on for sure. It's, they're both great, yeah. um, and they're both doing great work. 
Um, and then, you know, the bar nightlife show, we're, we're always looking at new POS systems. We're not a friend, fan of a- NCR. You're um, using NCR now. We are using NCR. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're looking specifically for um, Bodega. We like toast. Um, yeah. And we're learning more about that. Um, and uh, we saw a few more out there that, that we like. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. This is the last question. It's a doozy. Keep your ears open. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Be kind. Pay it forward. Be generous beautiful this has been a lot of fun keith thank thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your story to, to to inspire people to take a risk and just to ask you know what can i do for some equity around here sure you know and, and uh hopefully inspiring other owners and operators to you know uh spread that love to the what's the word have that mindset of abundance sure. you know that there's plenty for all of us to go around and we can go further together right yeah one one parting shot uh we didn't we didn't touch on it but um I just want to thank my dad, um, who's no longer with us, who was a tremendous inspiration for me um, and my best buddy, and my mom, who's currently uh, fighting pancreatic cancer, um, and my parents allowed me to be me. And so, um, you know, I I have been inspired as a parent to to be that dad um, and to not uh, put my kids in a box where they can't be who they want to Mm -hmm. be, because here I am today doing something that's completely unconventional because my parents allowed me to be that person and I want to thank them for that. I love it. I love it. And um, we do wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Um, That's one of the kind of how I found you through Randy. Who do you respect and admire in the industry? If you found out I got this person or these people on the show, you would become a full-time restaurant unstoppable listener. Yeah. uh, You know, Mark Hudasco is um, one of my favorite guys in the industry. Um, He was the GM at Little Jack's when I moved down here, um, which is just a great burger joint down the street. And uh, Mark uh, had a pop-up called We Flew South um, during the, the, the earlier parts of the pandemic. And um, he and his wife, Liz, um, were looking for a place and looking for a place, and they finally found it. And it's called Berkeley's, and it's inspired by kind of uh, Jersey style. We're both Jersey guys, North Jersey. Jersey style comfort food. Nice. And Mark and his wife, Liz, grind hard and it's the definition of a mom and pop um, and I'm just so proud of where they are today and I think that the sky's the limit for them beautiful Mark and Liz look I'm coming after you and how can we connect with you if we were totally inspired by your story just feeling your vibes maybe thinking about Charleston as a place to live and we're in the hospitality industry sure. maybe we're interested in some equity someday you know? <laughs> yeah totally uh, what's the best way to connect yeah I would just DM like I said I'm, a, I'm an Instagram junkie uh, for better or for worse but at KM. Benjo, B-E-N-J-O. Awesome. I can't remember what episode number this is. So if you're listening, listen to the beginning of the episode we'll, or just look at the title. Whatever the episode number is, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash that episode number. Uh, you'll find a summary of today's discussions as well as any tools or services uh, that we mentioned and how to connect with Keith. And also you'll find our sponsors over there. Please use our links. It really supports the show. Thank you in advance. And Keith, there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate Thank you. you. Cheers. All right, brother. Awesome. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, our last Charleston guest on this road trip. And what a way to end an awesome road trip. Keith Benjamin, man, uh, loved our time with you. I loved your energy. I love how you had no plan or thought that you would be 
a career hospitality person, but we just sucked you in and you've done so well. And I, I love what your restaurant group is doing and how you offer equity in skin in the game and how you use that to attract onto yourself amazing talent and then you benefit the whole restaurant group benefits from the unique talents of the individuals that you are able to attract onto yourself because there's that you you are offering more than a paycheck you you are giving people an opportunity to put their name on the brand and to treat it like they own it because they literally do and uh, i love this approach that you guys take in um you know buying points to to buy into ownership and it's a it's interesting and i'm happy that you're willing to, to share the details around that um, i'm definitely interested in learning more and really too just the this idea of bringing on specialists like i love the fact that you have a majority stake old owner in your business that's a marketer now all the restaurants in your group benefit from having somebody like that on the team just because it's like a fractional program like the I don't know. It's, it's interesting. You have my attention. I love this approach. I think we can all learn for, from it. And if you are finding value in these conversations and you want more just like this, please support the show. We are trying to commit to 100% on-site interviews. This is not cheap. It's expensive to spend time on the road and to let the story unfold organically, naturally in the way that best serves you which is why we need your support. So support our sponsors, use our affiliate links, share this podcast with everyone and every, anyone, you know, aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry, subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. If you have not yet subscribed, head over there for much more condensed versions of the show shorter clips. Uh, if the two hours is too much for you, the YouTube channel is for you. And, Leave those five-star reviews in iTunes and Stitcher Radio and Spotify. They help so much. Thank you to the people who make the show possible. Sam Hall, Jared Parisi, you guys know what you do. It takes an army. I'm grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.